What's happening, weirdos? This is Teacher Appreciation Episode Number Two. I'm very excited to share this with you. I got the idea during this quarantine, while education is so important and also so difficult, to share a little love and a little bit of gratitude with the teachers that have changed my life dramatically. We started about a month ago with the first episode, which was Mr. Brown, my high school teacher, and this is uh, Mr. We never called him that. Mark Stevick. <laughs> Professor Stevick, I guess, if you're nasty. This is Mark Stevick, who has been a friend of mine for over a decade, was my favorite and most influential professor during my time in college. He got me into stand-up. He got me into writing and acting and creativity. He was such an inspiration to me. I'm so excited to share this chat with you. And to everybody out there that's teaching, uh, either at home with their kids or teaching a lot of kids over Zoom, uh, thank you for what you do. And uh, here's a little reminder, I hope, that's my hope, that uh, teachers and education matter so much and really can make a difference in people's lives. Uh, so this is Mark Stevick. It's brought to us by our friends at Charlotte's Web. With this crazy world, we could all use some calm gummies. So get some CBD gummies by going to charlottesweb.com slash weird and use promo code KEEPITCRISPY19 for 10% off at checkout. I'm also excited to announce that Hello Bello, my life-saving diaper delivery service, started by our friends Kristen Bell and Dax Shepard. Dax, one of my favorite guests of all time on this show. They started Hello Bello because they understand that being a parent is super hard. And the last thing you need during some random Tuesday at the supermarket is to realize that you have a blowout. If you're a parent, you know what that means. <laughs> it's what it sounds like. You have a blowout and you don't have diapers. So Val was uh, so happy when she found Hello Bello and we've been swearing by them for both of Leela's two years now. They deliver high-end premium baby products at affordable prices delivered automatically to your door. Seven packs of diapers and four packs of plant-based wipes and even a full-size product freebie with your first order directly to your door so it can take some of the guesswork and some of the forgetfulness out of parenting. We love Hello Bello. They have fun patterns, 20 different fun rotating designs, and now, if you want to try it, if you are a parent or if you're about to become a parent, do yourself a favor and sign up with Hello Bello now. Go to hellobello.com slash weird. Not only will you show your support of this podcast, but you'll get 25% off your diaper bundle order. That's a huge bang for your buck and a lot of potential blowouts saved and, dare I say, prevented, redeemed. That's hellobello.com slash weird to start bundling with 25% off your order. Plus, get 15% off any add-ons like vitamins or wipes, which we absolutely took advantage of as well. Don't forget, hellobello, H-E-L-L-O-B-E-L-L-O.com slash weird and take some of this guesswork out of parenting because it's hard enough without it. And our newest Pete's Pick is paired with our oldest Pete's Pick, uh, our friends at Onnit. And the makers of Alpha Brain. Alpha Brain is a nootropic. It is earth-grown ingredients that help with memory, focus, and concentration. For the past four or five years now, I haven't written a script. I haven't done stand-up. I haven't recorded this podcast. 
I haven't even trusted myself to sit down without a, with a uh, reading a book because I know I feel the difference between taking two or three Alpha Brain 15 minutes before I really need to use my brain and not. It's not like coffee. It's not a stimulant. In fact, you can take it before bed, and it gives you some pretty far-out dreams in my experience. But anything that you do that you need your brain for, man, I wish I knew about Alpha Brain in college. It just makes it easier. It makes your recall easier. It makes your focus just hone in and tighten up. It is my absolute secret weapon. I have some in my car. I have some in my bag. I keep them in the pocket of my jackets. That's how serious I take my Alpha Brain. I need it and I love it. And the best way that you can figure out if it works for you is just to try it. Show your support for this show and try the nootropic that I love and swear by by going to onit, O-N-N-I-T dot com slash weird. And you'll get 10% off, not just Alpha Brain, but any of the products you see on that landing page. Uh, so give it a try. Give your noodles some help. <laughs> I swear by it. Uh, and that's it. Those are the ads, guys. I hope you enjoy them. Please show your support, as I always say. And in the meantime, enjoy my chat with my dear friend, Mr. Mark Stevick. And you know what? If you're inspired by this episode or the Mr. Brown episode, shoot a Facebook message to an old teacher. Share some love. Let's, let's, let's get this going viral. I think it's important, and it feels really, really good to do. And I'm happy to share it with you guys. All right. Get into it. Apparently. <laughs> oh, he didn't have his. There we go. He didn't have his. He didn't have his. He was lacking in the. <laughs> he couldn't have his. Oh, good. Save, Perfect, the, right? save, save <laughs> the apple for air, as they as they say in the biz. Get the yep. crunchy, juicy appleness going. People will. Ask. What's that mean for air? I mean, really save it till we're on air. You've oh, never you... heard "save it for air." You're oh. a radio man. Oh man, I forget. I for, I forget. I thought, I thought maybe. <laughs> I thought maybe. I forget. I thought maybe "save it for air" means when there's dead air. Ooh, do you I remember? am a radio man after all. We this is this is okay. So this is Teacher Appreciation Month, and you are Mark Stevick, <laughs> one of my dearest friends, longest friends. We've been friends for like. 20 plus years. You know what's great about this right now? I don't know. Is this? this Tell me. Tell me, friend. I find, I hope you're not recording yet. We are. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I have to say, I find uh, looking people in the eye sometimes a little tricky Hmm. because uh, I'm working on that right now in therapy. Oh, I got to get rid of that ding for us. Anyway, um, so the Zoom situation. When you are looking at my face, you're not looking in the camera. You're a little below, like you're looking yeah, at me. Yeah, And that helps me. Oh, I think, I, I, I think I'm going to have a better time with you. <laughs> no. You can't do the laughing game, but anyway. I We are recording, but uh, as we discussed, this is something we'll, we'll, we'll make together and polish and, and trim and nip, whatever uh, we don't like. But um, I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, people do throw you? around. Oh, yeah, oh. sure. I sure do. I'm a learned extrovert. I am an extrovert, meaning I'm a ham, and I enjoy uh, performing. But, like, there's some of that going on in me, for sure. Oh, come on, friendly. Well, you knew me at the purest, the purest time. You know what I mean? It was, it was so it's college. It's, it's uh, 1998. Oh, my God. 
1998. And whatever tank it is that we use on performing, I was like a cow that needed to be milked. I know that's sort of a grotesque image, but I was so backed up. I was so inappropriate because everyone that I met, I just needed to put on a show. So you met me at this time when like I was busting. And now that I've sort of equilibriumized myself, I've noticed a little bit more of a like, yeah. And when I'm not performing, I, uh, well, I don't necessarily pass my time just like with uh, direct eye contact with strangers and like right. meaningful sessions. I, I get anxious and awkward just like everybody. How can you constantly be give it away now, giving it away, give it away now, give it away now. Um, I mean, right? asking, I mean are, you spend, are you asking me a red hot chili pepper? I sort of, <laughs> you, <laughs> you spend your professional life stepping it up, giving it out. If there's a little dead air, you need to fill it. Like, well, not, I, wait, wait, just pause. Oops. See, see everybody. Just I broke. Stopped. Everybody, I broke. They all tuned. Everybody, they all tuned out. Turned it off. It's just fine by me. But everybody's so, out. I would, isn't it a professional occupational hazard? To uh, I don't know how to finish that. Let me just say, <clears throat> I would think that if you're giving it away all day and all night, particularly in two sets or whatever, that you'd want down. You'd want downtime. I I watch you. I've watched you a couple times after shows here in Boston, and there are long lines. <laughs> waiting to talk to you and you engage everybody really well. Like maybe everybody does. I don't go to a lot of stand-up shows. Well, I don't want to, what am I kidding? I love tooting my own horn. It's a, it's a favorite <laughs> pastime of mine. I not everybody does that. I enjoy doing that. And it's because of this podcast. If if it was just like people that wanted to chat about uh, stand-up or what uh, fun they I, had in the love show. That, though. You love chatting though, but maybe not with the hoi polloi. Well, uh, nobody feels like the hoi polloi with you. That's one of the things about you. That's very sweet. I'm already reaching for my king in the hole. Go ahead. Go ahead. You go. No, it's your king in your hole. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Uh, I was just thinking about what what is it about Pete that is so appealing. And uh, I finally found something. And it's this. (laughs) (laughs) I finally Uh, found it. Every when you came to our college, you spent you did two shows, I think, right? A certain number of years apart. Maybe you've forgotten. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I did two two times. I performed in the chapel. Yeah, at Gordon. Yeah. I always demarked them like this. One, I was married, and the second, I was divorced. Why do you demark them that way? Because it was different. <laughs> ah, I go also what? It, what? it must have been, it must have been different. Because well, you, you go to... back to a religious school, a divorced person, you sort of wonder, like, will they accept that I am now talking about being a single person, or will you know, will there be shame? And <laughs> I, I decided, which is so much of our tradition. I don't just mean our college. I sort of mean polite Christianity. Uh, and I'm just speaking it from my own experience, is to sort of act like it didn't happen. So it was very normal to just sort of be like, and, uh, you know, dating is weird, and, but you don't you do not do the George Carlin thing where you're like, divorce is a real heavy, you just sort of smile through it. It, it came later that I started acknowledging the pain of that. George Car- Carlin. George Car- yeah, you got to Car- check him out. He's great. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Um Shell shock. Do you know? Do you remember that? Carlin does a thing on euphemistic. 
post-traumatic stress disorder, battle yeah. fatigue. And then there's the thought. I mean, I begin most of my classes <laughs> with that because I want to teach us uh, effective language. And it's so often Anglo-Saxon, shell shock. But uh, this is a, a little... I uh, love that. Tangent. Uh, you spent the first 20 minutes at least of that second that second show off. You didn't have material. You were just interacting with the crowd and i know it's a it's a home crowd but you well you were well, you riffed for 20 and we laughed so hard and we all felt on the inside that's what i'm sort of saying one of the things about you is that everybody in the i think everybody in the audience feels like they're making the thing with you something that's really I sweet like of that, you i felt like that at the paradise apparently i don't want you to talk at all <laughs> i felt like that at the paradise and you talked about some <laughs> Some surprising things for some of the people that I was attending with. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, yet, and yet we all we all felt I mean, I really did feel like you were sitting there, we were we had a uh adult beverage perhaps, and just laughing over a little picnic table at the dirty duck together. Five however many fits in the fit in the uh, paradise. Yeah, yeah. No, the paradise felt more like a home crowd, but doing shows at Gordon. Uh, so to give a little context, Mark, uh, is still a professor at Gordon and Mark was my professor at Gordon and a, a, a real turning point in my life. And, and we've talked about this a lot, but I really do want it on the record as much as possible. I've said it in many interviews and blah, blah, uh, with the fucking leads and the blah, blah, blah. (laughs) (laughs) But there are those teachers that if you hadn't met them, your whole life would be different. And that's, and that's what this series is. And uh, it's not fortunate or unfortunate, but it's a very short list. Uh, I talked to one teacher of mine from high school who really shaped my life. What's and your, what was his name? Mr. Warren Brown. Mr. Okay. Brown. Because my wife also went to... She, she, oh, I bet she knows Mr. Brown. I bet she knows Mr. Brown. She probably knew him. And then there was a, a theater prof that she mentioned that... I Mr. Bogart. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, Mr. Bogart. Did you, did you, but you were probably not doing, she said, I wonder if Pete was doing theater back Mr. then. Mr. Bogart, I, I've always wanted to talk to him because, I, again, I was so, not to, sorry, I do want to get to you. And I, I was just winding up for a really great compliment. I was but here comes, I, I, I see that. You're being very Mennonite right now. I <laughs> uh, just salting, Jonathan, Jonathan Groff. Jonathan salt, salting Mennonite. the earth on the compliment <laughs> <laughs> crop. Um, I was such a ham in high school. Talk about a cow that needed to be milked, which is so gross, I'm going to say it twice. I was a cow that needed to be milked. I couldn't focus. Mr. Bogart tended to like those quiet, mysterious, almost like James Deeney teenagers that were cool for theater. And I was like, hey, Mr. Bogart! Like, I just, I wasn't, I had no restraint. Like, I was just a water cannon. So So, Ruth says, elegance is refusal. You had no elegance. I had no elegance. I would completely agree with that. And then, very dangerous. Mr. Bogart, sorry, did he have a certain elegance and a certain refusal that, good. His whole mystique was built on refusal. He was like you, actually. (laughs) He he wouldn't (laughs) shave. No, I mean it. He wouldn't shave the whole production. He was very, he treated the kids like equals, like he in a, in in the right way, which I would say you did as well too. He wasn't like talking down to them, but like he didn't know what to do with me, and I I don't blame him for that. But when I'm like, yeah, as someone who ended up doing some acting, did you act in high school? I did improv, and I was so desperate to make him like me, and of course I don't think he liked me, 
And I've told a story, I've told the story before where I was doing improv with the smallest guy in class. His name was Will Murray, Bill Murray. And um, we were doing a scene and Mr. Bogart came to sit in and watch improv rehearsal. And I was just, my whole life, if there, I'm a pleaser, I'm an achiever, I'm, I, I, I thrive with role models, especially male role model power figures coming in, female too. Yeah. But there he is in the crowd watching our rehearsal. And I'm like, I'm going to knock it out of the park. I think I'm really good at this. I'm going to knock it out of the park for Mr. Bogart. And I'm, I open the scene strong, strong initiation. I come out with Will Murray, a little guy, and I'm just going, Shh, be very, very quiet. Be very, very quiet. And, and then Will, you know, improv, he's like, okay, be very, very quiet. And it's yes. real quiet in there. It, it's an interesting initiation. I'm not saying it's great, but it's interesting. I, I was going for like, check this out, Mr. Bogart. And then I go, get down. And I grab... The littlest bag of fingerling <laughs> potatoes, Will Murray. I grab him, the size of my thigh, this man, boy, this child. I grab him and throw him to the ground with me. Will Murray hits the stage oh. face first. <laughs> but donk it, it got air. It bounced. And I still vividly, just as I remember faces and groans and bad sets of my stand-up, I remember seeing Mr. Bogart and he went, ah! and I thought he was laughing. I thought he was throwing back laughing. He was reeling in terror that I had broken one of the children. And then this is the other great memory of it. it not great. None of it's great. I mean, it's funny in the retelling, I suppose. Is he afterwards, people were like, are you okay, Will? Are you okay? And it wasn't like concussion level, obviously. It was just kind of like an awkward kick to the nuts, but in the head. And he was like, he started talking and you know that age where you're 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 barely not a kid anymore you're barely not a baby and if you're injured the baby sort of comes back and he started being like well i and like i knew if he talked he would cry he was he wasn't being a baby i'm just saying like it was such a sensitive fragile moment like getting burned or something and I was like, don't talk, don't talk, don't talk. I was, I was telling him, don't talk. Not for his sake, for my sake, because if you cry, I'll feel so bad. And I went and sat on the loading dock alone, completely failing my Mr. Bogart uh, winning over plan. And my friend Ern, who's still a friend of mine, who's done this podcast, literally like a J.D. Salinger story, came out and sat next to me and just like, sat in the shit with me. I was in the shit. I fucked up. I hurt somebody. I embarrassed myself. I embarrassed Will. Mr. Bogart was there. It, it was like Lauren Michaels was there. And then Ern, good friend, came and sat with me as I waited for my mom to pick me up. And, and I, I really remember that. So, I mean, isn't that the point of life? I mean, here is a story that when it happened, I would have been like, I, I, I wouldn't wish this on anybody. But now I'm sort of like, oh, I can't wait to tell you this story. How old were you? And I bet it was 15, 16, yeah. It would be fun to talk with. He might remember that, your teacher, Mr. Bogart. Mr. Bogart, yeah. That. There's a lot in that that I want to respond to. But uh, one thing I want to say is, you are tall. <laughs> so I, it's, that's another pleasing thing, right? <laughs> Isn't that sort of where we need to go? <laughs> After all that... I know Birbiglia would have taken you to the moment 
the moment where you recognize that he was going to cry and and then you, you probably use that when you're on the set on crashing and you're uh, trying not to well that's interesting well no just the the nuanced moment that moment you recognize that if he if you if he began to talk that was going to that to me, and, and that's and the most the interesting part of the story. Yeah. I love those moments in theater. I don't get to do much theater, but I love the moments when you, when that kind of nuance uh, settles upon a, a director and some actors, and yes. and then you just feel like you've got a little bit of treasure. You want to try to do that. That is what it is. And you're that, still tall. You're still tall. That's very and fun. In our situation right you're now, very fun. I'm actually sitting high. I'm in the third floor looking down. There's a laundry basket full of stuff so that there's a little absorbing of sound. I don't know what my sound quality is. <laughs> it's and great. you're a little bit below me. Every time you and I meet, I go, I forget how tall you are. Yeah. It's the mystique of the giants. It's our, it's our code. We wrote it in seagull bones on the back of the mountain. How tall is your friend? Cone? Code easy. What's he? six four, I think. Six. And we're we're the same height if you count his hair. <laughs> and that sounds like a joke, but literally, I'm as tall as his hair. But his hair adds about three inches on him, so I'm I'm a little bit taller than he is. Which I, I do think there's something to that. So so that does bring us back a little bit to the. Good. I hope it does because I took us to superficial. Friendly. Stuff this is we're getting is, ready to. I this, <laughs> this is like a. I, I I'm so touched. You've been listening to the show. But I want you to know that this is this is a special place and a sacred place, and it's a, and it's a, it's our place. I don't want you I, to feel like a guest here or a, or a visitor. Thank this you. is our time, and and we can do we can chat whatever we want. I do want to give you this compliment. Though. I learned that the <laughs> that's going to happen. Green <laughs> <laughs> at some point, to slip yeah, it in. Yeah. I, let me just say, I learned the phrase "green light conversation" from for I don't even know quite what who said that, but you were having conversation with somebody on on. You made it yeah, clear. all green and, lights. Uh, all green light. Um, I do. I do try to duck duck the compliments, and I and one way that I that I don't think is actually ducking. I know that we we. I think I said this to you before. I said it with Jamie, and we were out. You would have, if it weren't if it hadn't been me, who clicked with you, it would have been. Well, I mean, there were already people there. You would have. I don't know about that. I don't. It would have been somebody I, I no. know. And I do the same thing with certain, with certain of my props, including Jones bag. No, I, lo- I love Jones and I, and I, and I love Saruf. These are other friends of yours that like, that I've, I've quoted and, and appreciated and still appreciate and still carry, you know, how you carry these icons in your, in your brain, the people that got you when you were young, but something was going on with you and me that had so much more to do with the fact. So to give people a little backstory, we both came to Gordon at the same time. Can we talk about this? Is this something we can? Is this something we can <laughs> it's very safe. Uh, I, yeah, we did, I think, didn't we? we I think we time. started at Gordon at the same time. And I am not going to poo-poo Gordon. I am going to say that when I, Chuck and I, my roommate, were there, we loved it at first. And then at a certain point, we were just like, is this the place for us? I'm sure that's a lot of people at a lot of schools. It's not Gordon specific. You just have this like kind of scared orientation is over. The classes aren't novel anymore. Right. When when did this happen for you? I would say it was after Thanksgiving break. uh, Maybe. maybe, Actually not that long. Not that long. It was in the first couple of months. Wow. Okay. Yeah. First couple of months. Like, cause the orientation I did O staff all three years, every year I could do it. 
is such a boom, 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 like just like welcome to Gordon. Yeah. There's so much dancing and laughing and clapping. Like you don't even know how you feel. You're just so excited to be there. And once that wore off, I remember Chuck and I, a very iconic night, kind of like, you know, you're on bunk beds just talking as you're falling asleep, classic kind of roommate thing. Just going like, are, should we transfer? Because again, I'm, I'm not putting down Gordon. I'm just saying we were like, is this a real school? <laughs> that, that was the feeling. We were like, is this just Christian summer camp or is this a school? Because we'd talk to our friends from high school that went to secular, sorry for that word, but you know what I mean, non-religious Example. schools. Example. They went to William where, where and Mary, that went to Oberlin. The, the, their stories were different. Oh. And I don't even mean that they were doing drugs and drinking. I just mean like it was a different feel. Specifically, they were like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to read all these books. I was just like, I, I'm not really getting that. I, I kind of, I'm sort of just enjoying this. It's pretty light for me. Um, and then... I started taking public speaking. How did you do it, by the way, in public speaking? How did I do what? How did you do it? What what grade did you get? If it was, I was just, I just remembering you just now. (laughs) You don't remember? Oh my God. I don't know. You gave me a grade in public speaking. Yeah, I did. And I, uh, I'm not allowed to talk. FERPA. I don't know what that means, but I'm not allowed to actually discuss your, your grade. But if you I know was, what it was? I do know what it was. I, okay, I know just, what it was. Just make a, make a, make a neutral <laughs> face. I, I'm, thinking a, about, I'm thinking about you saying it was fairly light for me. And then I was, then I was remembering your, your public speaking grade. Oh, well, whether or not my academics like matched how lightly I took them, that, that's another issue. I felt that the pressure being put on me felt manageable. That yeah. doesn't mean I got all A's or anything. I didn't get an A in public speaking. Nope. I, uh, <laughs> I didn't get a B. You did. You did get some version of a B. I think I'm allowed to okay. say that. Well, you're talking to me. We doctor, can talk. Yeah. If you were my doctor, you could say I have psoriasis. <laughs> I mean, you're allowed to say it. We, uh, yeah, that, 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 uh, I thought, I thought we chuckled about that at some point, but I know I've derailed you from what you were saying. The thing is, that was a hard grade to give because you were, you were a good public speaker. Mm. But I didn't, I'll tell you now. <laughs> I was early, you know, that was my first year of full-time profing. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, uh, I kind of went with, I don't know, was it, uh, Robin Williams and Ted Poe? Anyway, I wanted you to leap to a high bar and I thought you were clearing five feet pretty easily. And I thought you could jump six, five. Right. And I never did. And so I gave you a B plus, even though. Maybe other people were, you know, I, who jumped 5'2 were getting A. Interesting. See, I mean, that speaks to how seriously you were taking it. I, I was mean, thinking it seriously, and I don't know if it was the right thing. Anyway, it's what, it's what we did, and you survived. You seem to have <laughs> done all well, right. But don't, that's sort of what I'm saying about education in general, but also just our relationship, our academic relationship, had so much more to do with the fact that you were and remain and are an inspiring creative dreamer theater guy. I said this to Mr. Brown. Uh, I, again, I don't want to poo poo Gordon and I don't want to poo poo Boston as a whole, but I hadn't met too many people that um, made dreaming and creating and theater specifically feel accessible 
and that I was invited to the conversation. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm not putting down Mr. Bogart, but I was like, what did I say? That's how I felt then. I was like, theater is for the James Deans. It's for the best looking kids, Mm -hmm. but the best looking sort of weird kids. So like the, the good looking, good looking, they can play sports. The good looking, but sort of left of centers, they do theater, but they're still gorgeous people. And I'm, I'm like a partially inflated air mattress with sweaty hands going around spitting on people as I talk. I'm like, where do I belong? And then I get to uh, Gordon and I'm like, I don't know if I belong here. That could have been a number of things. And then I start taking public speaking with you. And that's when I met you. And in that sort of Obviously, I don't mean relationally romantic. I mean, like, it's romantic thinking about your youth and and your education. I remember you walking into public speaking and you did a character. You pretended to be like a hoity-toity. You had the gla- your glasses, perhaps those frames. I'm just kidding. It's 20 years ago. On the tip of your nose, you had like a briefcase, like the classic haggard professor like absent-minded professor briefcase that you put on the thing. And nobody in the class knew you except Fillion. That's our friend, Mark Fillion. And you sort of, and I remember, as I remember everything, almost verbatim what you said, you were like, this is public speaking. My name is Professor M. Stevick. It is my job to teach you the art of effective communication, eloquent speech, persuasion, to teach the English language in its use. This is, and this is a, what I know for sure is a direct quote because you ran out of things to say. You went <laughs> effectively, impressively. <laughs> I think this is right. And well. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, I remember I and well. Okay, so listen, vividly. I think you're right. I do too. I do too. And I was, well. I was remembering this recently, <laughs> laughing about the the whatever it took to do that. And I knew, like you said, it was my one chance because I didn't, I wasn't known. Yeah. And I wanted to, you know, I wanted to communicate something to this group. I was scared, you know, and all that, but uh, I'm not convinced. So I did run out on <laughs> the, third, well. the parallelism, but I've, I also, I'm married to somebody now who loves asymmetry. And so I'm actually a little in my own listening to speeches and writing and doing my own writing. I'm a little weary of the the easy parallelism of three adverbs that end with a L-Y. And so for me, I think I ran out, but there's some little part of me that goes, oh, that, I understand. Was, that was the way it's to like end. A, I know I've taken far too long to say this. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Do you know what show you're on? Uh, again. So it's, like a, it's, well. it's a deliberately painted farm door. It's like how rich people buy farms and they want like a quaint. So you do it a little bit off on purpose. Now we're jumping to my senior year when I took your poetry class. And I have a very vivid memory of you celebrating a line that I wrote. Uh, I wrote a poem called A Smoke-Filled Nightclub. And it was about how I hate cliche. And it was called like, something. it was something, it was very you, because you're a poet as well. So it was very like kind of mimicking a little, my, my attempt at mimicking your tone. And I was talking about how, like, the phrase a smoke-filled nightclub makes me queasy and something, something, something. And I said, lousy alliteration. You made it so cool to have opinions about language and things like, I don't want three clean adverbs because there's no humanity in that. And then you made it cool to like theater and film and all of these things, the same things that I said to Mr. Brown that I was like, these aren't just fun ways to pass the time. They're how we 
frame and interpret reality, our inner reality. They become our dream vocabulary and our emotional vocabulary. They're so, 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 so important. It took me a lot longer to figure it out, but it was because I had people like you and Mr. Brown. But to get it really, really specific, and this goes to you saying other people would have done this for me. I, I completely. Wait, can I, before you say that, I, I this compliment is <laughs> coming at you. Before it's you coming it. at you. Um, it's coming. I love, I, I love what you said there about there's no humanity in that. And um, yeah, robot. There's it's, there's no handwriting. It's a typewriter. That's good too. Yeah. So let me ask you. The I'm a sort of a half inflated air mattress. So you just now did the handwriting thing. That just, I think, is in the moment. Did half-inflated air mattress also just occur to you? Yes. Just now? Yes. So I say I mean, yes like John Rogers. <laughs> dead serious. Yes. Yes. I am excellent. <laughs> I don't know why I took myself so seriously in that moment. I thought your uh, imitation of Rickman was really good. Oh, thank you. Good. I mean, it really was good. And it, Josh it Gad was very good. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little better than that. Yeah. No, it's it, it's it's by the day. On Gad, I got very lucky. So the you know, I know what you mean on imitations. Um but uh the humanity, these imminent and sort of instant um comparisons that you that you make, I think are part of your um I mean, I think Aristotle, blah blah blah, says that um one one measure of genius or one kind of genius is is someone's ability to see similarities or connections between disparate things. Well, that's interesting. It goes so, back a little bit to your lack so of eye contact. So, I think it's a brain that works differently. Thinks differently. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So if I, you know, I remember reading somebody's poem that described uh, an egret's flight as a, as a sort of a bent or broken umbrella. I thought that's perfect. I, now I'm linking, you know, it's, it's a, it's a conceit or a metaphor or whatever, but yeah, as I was reading a little bit back through, I wanted to see what you had to say about, uh, the, our college and uh, crying and stuff. So I was looking back through your book a little bit, uh, and over and over, your 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 um, comparisons like that, your are so fresh and oh. fun. And then I realized that uh, as I sit, so Jamie and I sat in the in the on Commonwealth Ave, listening to you sort of uh, talk about the book, and I think you're teaching like crazy constantly. Oh, I mean, yeah, really it's, it's so obvious that you are. I shouldn't even say that. I shouldn't no. even. I shouldn't even. Is that something? Is that something we can talk about? Home cooking. It's not, it's not even my place. The magazine. <laughs> uh, no, I. You know, it's funny. One of my Gordon memories was that I directed the improv team, and I didn't do a Daniel. Remember Daniel Wall? Yeah, obviously, yeah. he did it. DVD. And DVD, who lives out here, by the way, I see him from time to time. From time to time. Uh, he directed while I was in Israel. I did a semester in Israel. And he he took over while I was in Israel. And when I got back, there was like like this tearful send-off of Daniel. And Daniel, I would say this if he was here... Is it isn't like a uh, like a super precise like like what you're complimenting me about like an ability to like draw a comparison in the moment and really illustrate something with linguistic flair. That's not Daniel. Daniel's a heart guy. He's a totally. great actor for that yep. reason. He's very responsive. He's yep. he's an empathetic guy. He connects. 
So I remember he had his final show and people were literally hugging him and crying and they loved Daniel so much. (laughs) And then I finished out the year telling everybody that I had just read Truth and Comedy. I just read this book called Impro and I had like figured out improv and I lectured and I instructed and I, and looking back, it must've been fairly dry because when I left, not a single hug and not a single tear, nothing. It was just the show's over. And this is the plight of, of the achiever, my Enneagram type, is that we portray that we're so confident and with it that we don't actually secretly yearn for what the sweet David Daniel Wall gets Mm. because Daniel's vulnerable enough to show that he doesn't Mm. know that he's figuring it out with you and Mm -hmm. he's one of you and I'm over here going like let me tell you how it is so when I leave they just go like well cap the president of improv is (laughs) leaving his station like you don't hug him you salute him if anything like because that's what he seems to want certainly not what he deserves and that was when I started uh that was a hard lesson for me mm-hmm. to learn was I was like, you, it's coming back to you, whether or not you like it. Or I wondered you know, if you um, son of a bitch, it's back. <laughs> you had that too. There was a lot of humility and there was no, <laughs> like, let me, you're a published poet and you taught us poetry and you never were like, well, you just don't do that. I mean, we'd read schlock and you'd be like, here's why that's great. I remember that class being such a safe place. It was, I hope it was safe, except for people, maybe I had to warm, except for maybe people who who wanted, (laughs) (laughs) there were people who wanted me to come in there with a scalpel. I think Borgman was much more of a prescriptive reader of poetry. Oh, I wanted you to thought that. I'm sure you did. I wanted you to rip people apart. And and so I'm not, um, I don't know that, uh, how can I say this? I wanted you at the time. Sometimes, I mean, I, it's not, I can't, I want to say, I think at different courses back when um, Lord of the Rings was, I would come in and say, I'm not going to be your, your Gandalf. I just, I don't have the thing put together to help you write. I can say a few things. Um, One of my colleagues uh, recently said he was, he finishes his master's out at UCAL Irvine and, um, he said, one of my profs said, our job as writing teachers is to look at the certain person who is and say, you are a writer, proceed, mm. which I love. I love. And um, I don't want that to be a, an excuse for being lazy and not, you know, staying up late, getting up early to um, mark things that. up. But sometimes, that, you know, you get that poem back with lots of remarks on it. You go, God, I, yeah, that's too much. There's too much light in the room. I... Uh... I don't think that would have been helpful at all. At the time, the reason I wanted you to be strict was because that would have given me a a, a higher, tense, frequencyed room in which to succeed and win your favor. But that's mm. not that's not good teaching. That's not good education necessarily. That was just what I wanted at the time. Now I'm celebrating the warmth. And what it reminds me of is Seinfeld has this great quote where he goes, the first time you do stand-up comedy, you're introduced as a comedian. And isn't that, this is mm. now me. Yeah isn't that kind of the thing you want someone to say this next comedian it's his first time it's her first time and that's 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 the reward in full 
yeah. as Jesus would say. You've, re- you've received your reward in full. The set could go either way, but that night someone and a group watched as someone referred to you as a comedian. And when you left, no matter how it went, they said, keep it going. And that's what open mic communities are at the beginning. And I'm sure it's the same in everything you've done with writers. It's just a support group. Unfortunately, with comedians, we're often like an alcoholic group as well. But we get together and we say, no, you are a comedian. I saw when you did comedy tonight. And I go, no, you're a comedian. I saw when you, even though we both ate shit sandwiches, we're still going, we were comedians, we were comedians. So I think whoever said that was right on. Yeah. yeah. And now I'm like, where do, Where does anyone, Garrison Keillor has this great short story. It's not a short story, but it's a chapter of this book that I love that he wrote, where he writes a poem. I think you're going to love this. He writes a poem about his house um, in the woods. And he said, the, the grass cooling the air is, is a line in the poem. And he writes about his English teacher saying, does the grass cool the air? He goes, doesn't the air cool the air? Or, or he might've said the grass cooling the cabin. And he's like, the air cools the cabin. And like, there's this part of me, while I can enjoy the scalpel, and I have a pretty sharp scalpel that I use on myself. Like, where do you get off telling anybody that their dream and their instinct, like just let us fail and let us flounder. And I think you had that in spades. So here you come in, you're not that much older than us. I believe you were 34 when you started. So I'm 18. I, it's, it's a good difference, but still you seemed like, you know, around the age we could still trust. You know what I mean? Like, like hippies, you weren't that much over 30. And you were silly, mother, you were silly right off the bat. And that moment, so we're talking about Jamie, Jamie Robbins, my dear friend, still a friend of mine, close friend of mine. We just looked at each other like, what is this? We were about to leave. They should give you a, they should give you a plaque. We were going to leave. Now, I did have Borgman later, and Borgman was another treasure. And as you mentioned, Jones. And I had other teachers that I liked. But there was this moment of silliness that we were really missing at a time when the school, from my perspective, I'm not saying it's how the school actually was. My perspective was we were taking ourselves very seriously. There's a lot of mandatory chapel. There was a lot of like this, that. I had to take... Bible courses and, and you started getting, a, it's get, the air is getting a little thin. And then in comes somebody who goes, we're going to speak effectively, efficiently, and well, and then starts laughing. And then and we I'm, laughed hard. We, we, we laugh, laughed hard. You laughed hard. And there were a lot of people in there. It must've been 18 of us. And I was sat on the desk up front, the yeah. table and took those silly glasses off and we laughed hard. And we, we laughed hard. It's like, I mean, that's what you do with your, your crowd, when you walk in there, you start tossing some kind of connection back and forth. That's right. That's right. You uh, were you doing really it. And, and I was. Well, I mean, you were doing it. Too, we, right? we were celebrating the silliness of that together. And I don't I can't imagine. I'm so glad I, I did it. You know, today I was facing the daunting task of beginning this conversation with you. <laughs> and I, <laughs> you know, I thought of I mean, I thought I'd come in and say. Something from Glengarry, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I did an apple. But I, I find launching so hard, right? But And I, I feel like I fumble the handshake over and over. But that one, that That's was not fumbled. And it, it, I feel like we 
I don't know, it invited a kind of trust uh, back and no, forth. It, and then, and can I just say, before, yes, yes. <laughs> like two, maybe that class, but it's probably two classes later, I was wearing a dark blue shirt that was a little too heavy. And, and I got, as I noticed, you occasionally get. <laughs> Is this where? Uh, huge pits. Yeah. I mean, they weren't stains, but my pits got really wet. And I, yeah. and I realized oh, it was Mark. happening. And I kept my arms down for a moment. And that only increased it. Yeah. And then I said, I just said, you guys, and I just brought you in. And you con- again, you're constantly doing that. Your book does that. You do that in this over and over. People are like, but this is there's where- no secret. This doesn't need to be a secret. And so do you remember what I did? Yes, <laughs> I remember what you did. Steve, I'm so glad you brought this up because this is my point. It's not just about the like, oh, I'm, I'm so special. Who made me special? I'm like, this mattered to me and to everyone in that class at a time when we're all so scared. I, I joked about having clammy hands earlier. That, that's because in college, everybody made fun of me for having clammy hands. I'm pretty sure my hands are still the same level of clammy, which is sometimes clammy, sometimes not. You know what they call that? Hands. <laughs> it's everybody's fucking hands. But for some reason, we're teasing each other. We're still kind of children. And we're still scared. And we're still unsure of how to be become adults. And there you are. And I'm saying this as a compliment, just now, just now having become a full adult and you have dripping pits, like (laughs) wet. I remember this vividly. They were very wet. And you tell the punchline, it's yours to share. Uh, Well, I don't know. You you should tell it because you... Well, you put your arms straight up. You were like, (laughs) this is is my impression of what you did. You went, well, uh, this is a little bit bit weird. uh, And then you just put your arms straight up. And we all just started dying laughing. We laughed and laughed. If you looked at a a pyramid of my sense of humor, that is one of the load-bearing cornerstones of like what I, when I learned Mm. and somebody showed me what comedy actually is. And again, not to shit on Boston, but so much of the comedy I had come across growing up in, in the Boston area was... What are you, what are you, what are you putting uh, Michael Jackson from the eighties in a headlock over there? Like, it's just like making fun of someone else's sweaty pits. It's, and it's very American. It's very Western style of humor. It's always, you're the winner. And, and, and you were going, I'm the loser. Behold, I'm the loser. And it's the end of eight mile, the movie eight mile. It's like, you turn it on yourself and then you're now orchestrating how the laugh is happening instead of just getting dry mouth and getting afraid and getting scared that we're going to laugh at you, you invite it. And my mind was blown. And then in that place where you were showing us, this is one of the ways you can be a grown up. Mm. Not just Mr. Brown was teaching us how to learn. You were modeling how to be an adult and you were like, don't worry. You can still be silly you can still be funny. You can still play. You can still admit that you don't know. So many of your early classes were just doing what you still do and what I try to do as a stand-up. When I do stand-up, I try and say, I'm not doing comedy for you. I'm doing comedy with you. Right. I, 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 like Ram Dutz, my homeboy, is always saying, I don't know anything you don't know. We're just here to remember together. And all these sort of genuine they're not calling them techniques cheapens them but they're they're practices to go like let's keep the communication open and and honest and so much of your classes was saying 
without actually saying it, but you were you were telling us in other ways, I'm new here. You're new here. I don't really know exactly what I'm doing. And you said this to me the other day on the phone. You were like, I didn't know exactly what to do, but whatever I had, I brought it. I brought what I had. That's what art is. That's what writing is, right? What you know. I'm sorry. This is the compliment, though. And here it comes. We ended, I'm jumping forward. We did a show together. It's not even that good of a compliment, so you can relax. It's <laughs> a story. I'm jumping ahead. We ended up doing a couple shows together, which, which we'll talk about, because I thought maybe it would be helpful to go a little bit in order, just if we want. But we're at Giordano's. Remember Giordano's in Georgetown? I didn't. Math. And <laughs> I, two things. One, you told me you'd ha- you would be great at hosting a talk show. You said that to me. I remember that, yeah. I remember. And then one time you couldn't make a class and you said, I want you to, David Letterman, this guy, I'm sending a guy in and I just want you to interview him. So you had me interview a guy for the class. but you, And then, you know, 10 years, whatever, later, I had a talk show. And I'm sort of quietly believing I can do it because I had, this is how important, not just teachers, this is how interconnected and important we are. And talk about your language, how important language is, and especially young minds, how intensely they're listening and looking. And, and that continues to this day. I'm still listening and I'm still looking. And I know you are too, which is why I want to tell you this. You said that. But then we're at Giordano's. We were doing this dinner theater that you uh, dinner theater show that you had written, but it was afterwards. We were hanging out, or maybe it was before, and we went upstairs to look at the space to see if maybe we could do something else in this other space. Because as I said, you were this dreamer. You're a manifester. You're like, I have an idea. Let's put it on. I'm going to call that space in Salem. It's how I did stand up for the first time. Maybe the Lyceum will let you do stand up, and I did that because you did. And that was the first time I did stand-up. But anyway, we're at Giordano's in Georgetown, Mass. We're upstairs. There's a little stage. And you said you should do stand-up comedy. And I said, I was, of course, terrified, as anyone should be. I could never do that. And in a fairly crowded restaurant bar, you went up on the little stage. People looked at you. And you just started bullshitting. You just started saying nothing. The point was that it wasn't funny. Pits up. If anybody learns anything from this podcast, pits up. (laughs) Always pits up. You went up and and you said, hey, Mike's Hard Lemonade. That's a weird title for a beverage or whatever. You just sort of (laughs) riffed around. No one laughed. (laughs) That was the point. And you got back down and you sat next to me. Tell me this doesn't sound like a scene in a movie. And you went, what's so hard about that? It, it wasn't, I didn't do well and I'm fine. Everything's okay. And I think I started doing it shortly after I had done it. Maybe uh, thinking back, I had done it once or twice and then I stopped and you were like, I think you need to go back and to do it. Isn't that wild? That's the compliment. Salah. S E L A H. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> Wait, you know what that means? <laughs> no, your Old Testament. No, that's a poem. Some, something out of the Psalms. Yeah, when, you uh, say it at the end of the Psalm. Yeah, or partway through. There's a moment of breathing or thinking. Or consider this. Some people uh-huh. say Sila. Anyway, the only thing I disagree that I take issue with it. I <laughs> I thought my joke 
I thought my jokes were okay, actually, on the on this. <laughs> I, I thought the lesson you were What's trying so, to yeah, no, you're right. part did, was yeah. they don't have to be great. I remember I the jokes were, for your sake, I didn't repeat <laughs> they were, them. <laughs> they were horrible. No, I thought I said what's so hard about lemonade or something anyway. And I thought it was not bad in a moment. I thought it was, uh, what, what makes, what makes my card? So, oh no, like I hope not. God, I don't even know what that means. Pete. Um, <laughs> Plausible deniability. <laughs> right. It was, uh, I don't, I could, I could be wrong. What about, it was definitely I hear, a riff. I love, thanks for taking us back there. I do remember that. And, uh, it's been so, so amazing to, uh, I mean, Jones used to call you, Paul, didn't he? Or did well, how did he refer to you? He would sometimes just uh, get my name wrong. Kind of a, a Letterman reference to you in class too. I think he's told me. Oh, really? Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, so that's we, fun. I wasn't. I, but I that, wasn't alone. But, that, but that was what a... about audience? I want to just say something about audience. So, mm. for some reason, I gave an. Ex- I think I gave a midterm exam, and a, I certainly gave a midterm exam in, in our public speaking class. I can't. Mm. I can't imagine what I was thinking, but I, while you all were writing and I actually have a copy of it, I mean, I have the drawing. I sat at the front in and drew everybody in pen, which I love. I love drawing in pen because you will screw up. If you draw in pencil, you have to erase, you have to worry about, but the stakes are so high drawing in pen mm, <laughs> mm. that they're low. I mean, you just go, wait, you were, you did that in pen. That's pretty good. <laughs> I mean, for pen, you know, so they're I, so high, they're low. <laughs> I sketched everybody. I got a little bit of Dave Rice's head. Anyway, yeah, all eighteen people in the class, uh, and uh, and as I look back over the names, they were really terrific. So the audio, the the you guys were great, and I it think was a special class, special yeah. right, special chemistry there, and uh, you were a, a major part of that. I think. Pete, because um, as I was kicking this around with my with my family a little bit, I said Pete used to make me feel like I was hilarious. Like for a while, I thought I was a really <laughs> like in our classes. I thought I was kind of I was pretty funny. And you then, were. Then I realized I learned <laughs> that you take the little loaves and fish and multiply. I mean, you would just take the smallest little bit. What's so hard about Mike's lemonade or whatever? And just, I, you laughed really hard at that. Yeah. Yeah. And that was over and over. And I think what you do then, you're one of those people that you want in an audience because you are giving the audience permission. You gave everybody else permission to settle. I mean, so was Fillion. And so, you know, there were, I agree. There were a number of people in there. I mean, obviously Jamie was really shy at that point, but that's the she paradox. Was so entering in too. And, of course, and I have. So I'm, I'm giving you credit here for, mm. for uh, I don't know. I, I actually try to tell my students um, at the beginning of, of each semester. I'm not. Um, anyway, I just say this is going to be a crap. I need your help to make this class good. Yeah, and every, lots and lots of teachers, I'm sure, say that. It's so important, but that's what stand up say too. And and the one of the yeah, weird but... paradoxes of stand up is if the crowd is bad, it makes the show worse. Mm-hmm. Meaning when you need to be better, you can't yeah. <laughs> because they're not enjoying it. So it feeds into itself. Whereas a, a great crowd gets a better show. They get they ask any comedian for the long version of a joke. We all have that. It's like I did right. the long version because you were in the middle of it and they yep. were liking it so yep. much. Yep. You followed a thing. Yep. So I completely know what you're talking about. I also remember, and I don't want to put this person down, but just to give a little flavor of what Gordon was like, 
you know, Jamie was doing public speak, speaking about peanut butter and jelly. I remember I gave a talk about one time going to the wrong party and everybody invited me in. And I said that that was like a core like it changed the way that I view the world. Like the world is an okay place. Look, you can even go to the wrong party and it's okay. Um, Dave Rice, you mentioned, talked about silent film. I'm sure Kalukas talked about the, the circus. Everyone's talking about their passions. And then what was that? Harrison Ford. Fillion. Fillion talked about Harrison Ford. And then one guy, again, I re- this is going to sound like I'm teasing him, but because it was Gordon, there was one guy who just wanted to be a, a preacher. And he went up and gave the most fire and brimstone sermon to this day I've ever heard in my life. It was about Jonathan Edwards, uh, a, a spider in the hand of an angry God, sinner in the hand of an angry God. And he was quivering with passion and intensity and from what I don't want to go too much into this in case he hears it, but I remember being, I'm still sort of shook by this scary, like you are unworthy. God hates you. And every time you sin, which you can't stop doing, this is the peak of my, you know, adolescence. I'm so horny. I'm so, whatever it is, he's just like, every sin is another bite in the hand of God who, is would love to toss you into the fire, but it's only by grace that he doesn't, but you keep tempting him. And I'm sitting there just like, I'm going to take down that picture of Tiffany Amber Thiessen <laughs> when I get back to the dorm room. I there were, So what I'm saying is, this is important. It wasn't just, oh, here's this great professor. It was a great professor. You have to consider the medium. We we were in a strange place. Again, I'm being careful here. I don't I don't just want to be easy and put it down. I'm saying it was a strange place. We we were a very interesting group. So to have you there, that's what I say about Jones and Borgman too. It's like you guys were sort of these um and maybe it's different now, I don't know, but it, it, at the time it felt like an anomaly. I was like, this feels like a special thing is happening. So tell me a little how bit. No, but how did we, oh, can I, can I jump oh, on that? Can we talk about how, that? <laughs> how did, do you have any idea? You have a great memory for everything, which is frightening. How did we, how did we deal with that? Do you remember? I remember, I vaguely remember the, that. Comedy. Everything was comedy. Everything was comedy. That's, That's how we, we, we chuckled about it afterward. What, what you gave us was a, Okay, so here's a here's a good that, example. That is a, that's a hard moment. I mean, that's a hard moment because you don't oh, want to in the class the embarrass in him, the in like the class in hard. Yeah, in the class, you went up and you just said thank you very much. That was wonderful because he he communicate he did what he set out to do. I think the 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 assignment was to give a speech in a style, and he gave it in the style of Jonathan Edwards. So he wasn't like tone deaf or such a like a weirdo or that's not what i'm saying so you were like that's great then maybe yeah i don't have a specific memory of laughing about it but anything that was weird at gordon or that made us feel weird you gave us an appropriate model for how to use humor to kind of coast through 
whatever differences of opinion you find in any place, not just a school with many different denominations together, but in any place you were like, Hey, let's, whatever we talk about, whatever we disagree about, we can always chuckle. And that was very valuable. But here's something that might surprise you that I remember. I really skated really close to the edge because I wrote for the newspaper and I would believe it or not, I would get in trouble pretty frequently for some of the things that I wrote. Oh my God, you have one with you. Where the skies are so blue. Where the skies are blue, excuse me, because it was Pete Holmes, Alabama, where the skies are blue. Uh, anyway, that is insane. I haven't let's read look, it yet, but let's, I, did, I found it. But let's anyway, look at that. Car- and I drew my own cartoons. I want to read that cartoon. Close to the edge, you were saying. You, you called me. This is not what you probably expected uh, me to bring up today. You might have been nervous that I would only talk about what a iconoclast you were and how wild it was you actually called me into your office and we're just like i just want yeah i just want to take you through one of the things you wrote not to not to tell you not to do it but to tell you know your audience i like I, tense My i remember that tense up a little bit just because i'm afraid of where you're going where See, i was very go. i was very <laughs> depressed my senior year i remember i, I remember I was, that i was very depressed i didn't even you know came, what depression depression was because i came back from israel you came back from israel and you seemed like a different person to me actually well, and i i remember totally. maybe we'll talk about this later something we could talk about is i really <laughs> wondered which way you were going to pitch i i remember i think i even said it to jones i don't and i've never said that to you but I see that with a plenty of my students, particularly sort of beginning of senior year, they, they finally, they get to a place where they could really, really get uh, angry, hostile, jaded. That's what it was. Is that where you were? Oh my God. Something like that. I remember in your poetry class. Because you had a sweetness. You always had a sweetness. And I I didn't want to see the sweetness. No, it was starting uh, to go. Totally subsumed, you know, whatever. What happened was I went to Israel to Jerusalem and it, believe it or not, people picture Indiana Jones, but it's also a city. It's like a real city and there were real things to do and there were real people. And I had gotten my first taste of what it would be like to be an independent young person living in a metropolis, which I didn't even know I wanted, but I was like, Oh my God. And that just sounds like code for drinking and stuff. It wasn't, I just loved, I'm an empath, the energy of it. It mirrored my own, the pulse of it and the excitement of it. And and you don't have to make plans. You can just go on a walk and, and something would happen to you and you could do jokes about it and you could write about it. So I was getting milked basically by my environment. And then I came back to Gordon and it just wasn't as cute that everybody looked like a pastor's wife and everybody looked like a pastor and everybody was just being so polite and sweet and playing this like Valentine's day box candy game that just felt fake to me. And I was very angry and very depressed. And, and I lived in this basement apartment. What year? I, I just want to see what year this, this newspaper's from. Let's see. It's February, 2000. So that might've been before that. Well, February 2000, I graduated 2001. So, that so this was, is your junior year. What, when did you go to Israel? My first semester senior year. Okay, so this is before Israel. So you but might still be. I might still be sweet. Yeah. But you're also playing with self-surgery. You know what I mean? You've yeah. been, I know you know this. You, you've yep. been sweet your whole life. You've identified as a sweet, kind person. And it's not that you don't want to be unkind, but you want to see what it's like to try on melancholy, to try on mm. anger or whatever it might be. 
but I really just knew where I wanted to be. One of the reasons I wanted to get married was I wanted to get to Chicago. I wanted to get out of Boston. I wanted to do comedy really badly. So when I was in your poetry class, I was a curmudgeon. I was really, and that it was around that time that I wrote a thing about Valentine's day. And it was basically roasting how kids just want to get their MRS degree, which is a, a term in Christian colleges where women just go there to find a, a, a partner. Uh, that's obviously not true, but that would, that would be sometimes a joke. Um, and that everyone was so horny. And I just, I just couldn't stand that everybody was dry humping and everything but Christians that were saying that they were virgins, even though that they were 69ing. Or, I'm not even trying to be crude. I'm saying that's what they were doing. And they were like, but I'm still good. And so I wrote this very acrid, nasty Valentine's Day. And you just sat me down and you took me joke by joke for the first paragraph or so. And you're just like, look, I get it, but look where you are. And and don't be surprised if people are upset if if you write like this. That's all you said, and and because it was from you, that's good. I, I think I pulled the nose up. So there's a good there's a score one for the old friendly. That is, I I, I was really uh, I liked the um, I hope I hope it's true. Yeah. That the don't forget who you're writing for. Is that how does that, is that how you said it? Yeah, you said know your audience. You're like, I was, I thought it was so, writing for the Lampoon or something. It's like, what are you doing? But it that, wasn't even good. It was just angry. That feels like a reasonable thing to say. Uh, I didn't want, want to be too prescriptive in that moment. And, and but you, and you knew know what? I would truth, listen to you. Well, I, yes, except at a certain point when you're, when you were angry enough, I could, I could imagine you getting really, I mean, just having to say, I'm not, I'm not even listening to you. That no, I'm that, not going to take that, and I, that, so I came in with I came in with trepidation to that conversation. I remember it a little bit. No, I remember. I remember you the seen, feeling of it. You might have said afterwards that you were nervous to say it to me, but I'm glad that you did. And this is what I'm talking about, teacher. It was just giving you a chance to to make a choice, right? That's what it was, and that's and, what that's what grammar is for me too. It's not about telling you you have to use a subjunctive tense. It's giving you the ability to make a choice to yeah. speak this way or that way. That's right. At least know you're breaking the rule. I just heard somebody talking about science fiction in that way. They were like, if you betray the laws of science knowingly and let the reader know you're doing it knowingly, that's science fiction. If you do it unknowingly, that's a, that's offensive and we don't like you. It's the same with poetry. It's the same with communication. It's the same with art. It's, it, you need to know that you're breaking a rule. For some reason, this is important to us, but I understand why. But that this is Teacher Appreciation Month. That's not just something you taught me. That was like, you were like, look, I see, I see you've met Luke Skywalker. You've met with the emperor. You've gone to the, you've seen the power of the dark side. And isn't it funny to tear down Gordon? And isn't it funny to rub? I remember the first joke I made in the Valentine's Day. I said, Valentine's Day, or as it's known, VD Day. And I thought I was being so clever because no one would have the gall to say VD. I didn't even know what venereal disease was. I just knew you weren't supposed to say VD. And you were just, and like, you also pointed that like some of my subconscious. uh, (laughs) I remember. You were like, you say this, and then you say, that's about as reliable as a made of Kleenex. And you were like, you're just talking about what it sounds like you're talking about masturbation. And then the next comparison you make, or illusion you make is a kite, a kite made out of Kleenex. And you were like, don't you see how you're kind of painting a, an interesting picture? 
And, but that was one of those moments. Someone's depressed, dark. I'm so lonely. I'm so tense. And someone just comes in. This is, this is, this is real mentor stuff and goes, Hey, I know you. It's okay. I'm not telling you to stop, but know what you're doing. And I was like, I got it. And I, I'm pretty sure I, I straightened out and it, it wouldn't have mattered if anyone well, else had told me to. You didn't cash in. I mean, I, f- I felt your, your work was still, it wasn't barbed, but it's not like you um, went easy on, on the reader. I just think you, uh, I don't know, you were more responsible somehow for what you were writing a little bit. Um, well, that's what you told me to do. And that, what, what is the name of that article, the one you have? The one I have here is, uh, I don't know. It doesn't have, it's where no, the skies it, are blue. What, what, what's, what comes after where the skies are blue? That's the title. Visa. Everywhere I don't want them to be. Oh my God. And, and can I just, can I just say, I remember in college, I thought about this yesterday, friendly. I woke up. No, I'm sorry. It was this morning. I woke up this morning. I got about five hours of sleep because of the baby. And I was just depressed. Sometimes you just don't have the energy to be happy. And I was like, I am depressed. And I am sad. And Lee and I had some good moments too. But when I was sort of on my own in the bathroom or whatever, I'd be like, man, I'm just wearing the heavy coat today. And then I thought in college, all I wanted was to know what it was like to wear the heavy coat. Mm -hmm. All I wanted was to have, I'd listen to music where people would be yelling or even just like singing with passion. And I was like, what it must be like to have, to have passion for something because you're a kid you've been coddled and safe for so long and i was wow. like man i just want something to yell about so that's me trying it's like these credit card companies they keep bugging me to sign up and it's yep. like it's like training wheels can i read you the lead i'd love it next time you pass that visa straight from the ninth ring of hell booth set up in lane student center and some guy named skip They're all named Skip says, hey, you crazy college kid want to sign up for another credit card? Turn to him and say, sure. But as his I work on commission smile begins to light up, continue saying, but wait on second thought, why don't I just give hundreds of dollars to some other random stranger and tell him to hit me in the face with a sledgehammer? The way I see it, it's pretty much the same thing. Both signing. Okay. Wow. Do you remember it? That's really bad. You obviously remember a little bit of it. I just want to point out, like, this This you is... those out, though, right? I mean... I did crank them up. You were writing, it's not so much cold and dirk. You're very... That's uh, very <laughs> Tim Wolf. I just want to say... Of, how did you have time to do these? And you're, illustrate. You're very questions. sweet. But you're learning how to have an opinion. Yeah. That's what it is. I, I didn't know Dante. I, don't, I didn't know the ninth ring. I just heard people say that. He doesn't work on a commission... What do you, I think he gets commission, like maybe he does, but that's just an assumption. It's something I learned from a movie. They're taking us for a ride. That's something, like there are actual college students that would have like researched how these things work. I was just a guy going like, it's Wednesday. I have to hand this in on Thursday and writing some shit. So to your point that a professor's job, similarly, a school newspaper's job is to just be like, you're a writer, you write. It's, it's, it's the practicing of doing something yep, yep. and being safe to do it badly that yep. emboldened me to keep yep. trying it. I love it. Yeah. Let, you, did, you did get emboldened. I, I, I think about your work ethic. You started by saying you're a, how did you say it? It's not an industrialist, but you, you get stuff done. So Davy D 
was was more of a feel it kind of guy and you were a what was the word you used and I, pre- I, I just remember the president of improv. <laughs> <laughs> I keep thinking about how hard you worked after college to learn how to write for what was it outsourced? I mean, you you had to teach yeah. yourself a lot of stuff because you hadn't learned it learned it from anybody at Gordon. Well, that's not true kept because at it, kept at it kept at it, and I know your work ethic, and I I hear I, some of the people that you you interview on the show are also. I mean, you know, you're with, again, I just listened to a little bit of Mike Biglia and you, um, and he was getting on you for not reading his whole book. You remember that? Uh, or seeing the whole film. That's it. You you said, look, I, I actually thought I'd be done filming at six, but we actually, you know, we actually went till eight in, in the whenever. And so I had 45 minutes. And so I gave it my full tilt. And uh, I, I remember trying to schedule a conversation with you once and you were, you said, uh, you know, Judd works early. It's, I'm going to be there at seven and he's, he's squeezing me in for a little conversation. And I thought, gosh, those guys, you have such uh, an ability to get up and put your nose down and, and crank it. Out. I know now that I'm not, I, sometimes what I say to myself, Val is very giving when it comes to me carving out time to do stuff but I still feel guilty. And the way that I solve my own guilt is I go, if Judd to this day, if Judd was like, can you come over at 5am tomorrow? I'd, I'd be there. Right. So like, I'm, I think you're probably the same way in your creative endeavors. It's like, how do we boss ourselves? Why do we need someone else? It's just the nature of the game. It's really hard. Maybe one day out of the month, I'll be able to actually like get up at six and, and work on my own stuff. But to me, the, one of the biggest challenges of a creative life is figuring out how to boss yourself, how to give yourself your own deadlines and self-start and self-motivate instead of waiting. I know a, a hundred thousand people that would right. meet Judd Apatow at 6am, yep. but can you get up in your own sad little nook at 6am? Yep. Very difficult, but friendly, this okay. is coming in hot because this is teacher appreciation month. I appreciate that when I had to learn how to write or whatever, you say that I didn't really know. One of the, there's two things that you did and I want to talk about both of them. One is Cry Innocent and the other is The Theater Trip. These are both Mark Stevick originals. So you came to Gordon, you didn't really know what you were doing, but you, let's start with The Theater Trip. You brought- I I, I had to leap in. Mm. It would be, I, I just can't, uh skillen did it <laughs> skillen was it skillen uh, look it was jones who said you're getting your 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 masters in creative writing poetry and playwright how about you write you want to try to write this play about the witch trials okay that for right the start, and then he directed the first show so and i i imped my wing on his to quote george herbert um <laughs> and make jones into the, into the holy spirit suddenly uh, and we, <laughs> <laughs> affliction shall further the flight in me. Um, and so we, we worked together. We worked together. That's, on it. that's fine. And but what about, what same about, thing okay. with the, the theater trip. I mean, right. I, I, I went to, to Skillen and said, I mean, I checked with Jones cause at that point he was the only full-time person. And, um, I said, uh, I really want to go back to, to England. Can, and he said, yeah, I'm, I'm up for it. So, put together a proposal, went to Skillen. Skillen gave me a, a, a pro a sort of a boilerplate kind of thing. I copied it and we pitched it. And then 
it wouldn't have happened without Jones. Jones is just so people know Jones is the head of theater at at Gordon. One of two now. Yeah. Jeff Miller's the other, but um, edit that out. It it would not, (laughs) it would not, it would not be what it is without the Jones, without the Jones. No, I understand. That's that's great. And, and, and we can all let's get everybody up to accept the, the Emmy, (laughs) but you can't help your winning an Emmy. I'm in there. I'm in there. Because I, you took us on this trip. We love it. We love and I think I did it two or three times, maybe twice, where the trip was you took uh, 10 or 15 Gordon students, theater students, and we went to Ireland and England, and we saw, if not one play, sometimes two plays a day for like 14, 15 days. So that is more plays <laughs> than most people will see in a lifetime. And we're doing that in a, a matter of weeks. All we're doing is what everybody, I, everybody I knew dreamed about that college would be, that we would be drinking espresso after some play right. and talking about what it meant. And this is teacher appreciation month. You can get Skillin and Jones in there, but you're also there. This was real life stuff. So when I, what writing, especially writing for TV, is is the is learning how to write sheet music for for dialogue for like what it sounds like when people are talking. That's what we were watching over and over. I finally found I, one of my earliest memories was saying to my brother and my father. I said I was listening to them talk for like fifteen minutes. I was in the back seat of the car going to school, and I said I, I thought I was having a breakthrough. I went, "There's a music." to conversation. There's a way that people talk. There's like, I was probably learning to play the piano at the time. There's like rests. You take a rest. Like you can't just talk because kids just talk. And I was watching two older people talk and I was like, wow, it's like the ocean. There's a flow to it. I couldn't say any of that. And I, I, the story is a little sad because my dad didn't say anything. And my brother just went, yeah, people know that. (laughs) And I, and I, I thought I was a genius. What's fun about me is I still think I was a genius. But then when I went to see plays, I was like, here's other people that when they hear two people talking, see the notes, they see the scale. There's a little bit, when you said eye contact, I think about the things that I have that are similar to Asperger's. And one of them is I just find communication and human civility and communication to be canned. You kind of see it for what it is. You're like, nobody really laughs that way. Nobody really sits that way. Nobody really, that was a fake cough. That was like a cough you do because you're, whatever it is, that is a heightened level of perception. But when you see plays, when you see an Arthur Miller play, when you see a Brian Friel play, you go, these are people that are like me. And, 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 and they recreate it. And then you see the actors and they recreate it. And you go, life isn't just, Something that I see is manufactured. It is manufactured. And it's so manufactured, people can manufacture the manufacturedness mm. and remanufacture it yeah. as a part of the manufacturing. Right. So we can play the part of an audience and watch the remanufacturing and then hold our playbills and be like, wasn't that spectacular? And it's all continuing. So it's getting very meta. So when I sat down to become a television writer, I think when I was on those theater trips, I would write plays. They had no structure. They had no story. Hmm. There was no point. There was no purpose. I remember saying to you, I was like, I'm writing a play. Um, Stevik, you're going to love that. I hope you love it. I hope you hear the love in this. I said, I'm writing a play. I'm telling my professor, who's an actual playwright, I'm writing a play. Did he say, 
well, did you outline it? Have you studied plays? Do you know structure? Do you know what you're t- the story? Do you know the characters? You just said, what's it about? And I said, I don't know, but it's called As You Were. And you said, good title. That's all you said. And you let me go and get in the kiddie pool filled with tapioca and just smear it around and eat it and just make a mess because that's what I needed. That's education. You didn't, you, you Daniel walled me. You met me on the empath level instead of president of playwriting. It's still tempting to be like when people tell me, whatever, go. Well, I'm just, I mean, that's, again, you give me, I feel like you, just like I was saying, you, you would laugh at my little bit of humor and turn it into, so I say good title. And for you, now you've made it into a brilliant moment of teaching. And it <laughs> is. I also remember on I'm that theater trip, I late, we, we were so tired. We got to this hostel. We stayed in these terrible hostels. And uh-huh. I, do you remember this? I laid down face oh. first on a bare mattress at a youth hostel and you looked at me this was also this sort of like treating me like an equal you looked at me and you went you lay face first and this is a quote on a mattress that has every plague you said every every plague the 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 little the couplet of those words (laughs) every plague it's it's poetry. I know we're buttering each other's bread right now, but this is love. People should hear that that people are talking this way and can and be can be kind and remember every plague. You didn't humiliate me. You made it a laugh, and I got up and I, I hope I washed my face. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good chance for me to tell Joan something that I never ever have been able to tell him because he'll probably listen to this. All right, uh, he goes into whatever new hostel it is or whatever uh, Hampton house there on, on uh, Weymouth Avenue near, near Regent park. We've got these great, I don't remember if you were, you were in those. I hope so. <clears throat> really sweet. Anyway, he takes out his stuff, his, his dop bag, his toiletry kit. And he lays, he lays his toothbrush on whatever counter, whatever sink, <laughs> whatever little mirror, you know, shelf is there. He, he arranges it. First goes his and that bare unfed <laughs> toothbrush is lying. Is lying there. And I've never been able to say Jones. Every are, plague. Are you? <laughs> it's up now. He's plague. probably gonna. He's gonna. At some point, he'll he'll mention that to me. He won't acknowledge it until he gets me back somehow. But there's some of us that like when there's someone you respect, and this is how Jamie and I felt. And they make fun of you. This is how I still feel about being roasted by by my peers and especially people that are way bigger and funnier and whatever, um, glow even brighter than anyone uh, roast me. I love it. So in that moment where you're like, wow, he noticed and, and said something about every plague. But I mean, that was... That's a life changing thing, and I do. Wait, want to wait, be wait! Careful. It's a life changing thing that I said. Don't. No, let, no, don't. no! To go on that trip. Oh, to gotcha. go on that yeah, trip. Yeah, yeah. yeah. To no, see those. Same, places. same with us. Same with us. We get the artistic inspiration, and ideas, and confusions, and questions. And for a year, we would just go in August. Or now we go in August, so we include the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, and it. Wow. It amps us. It feeds us for a year, and we're all, we're hungry it, for it for the next. You it's know. essential. Do you remember when we went? We were in Stratford, Stratford upon Avon. Of tell me, what did we see there? 
Oh, I, I remember well, some things there. What be, uh, I remember, <laughs> I remember you and I, we and I, I forget who was with us. It could have been Lori. Um, yeah, Lori. We had lunch at the Rose and Crown Pub. I think it was. Do you remember, I remember this? That. I remember this. What next? Then what? We stayed and laughed. We had lunch <laughs> and we that's stayed it. and laughed for so long. <laughs> we had dinner. Yes, that's it. Because the this I didn't know you remember that. That's... This isn't just a, a, a small detail. Uh, so much of college, as I'm already saying, is is learning how to be an adult, and for better or worse, so much of that has to, at least you perceive it, has to do with what you're allowed to do. So the drinking age being 18 in England made such a big difference because we could, and we, believe it or not, we were responsible. We didn't go out and get drunk, but we did enjoy pub culture and fish and chips places and and the older kids would get a, a pint or something and we were just getting to pretend to be grown-ups you know you're going to see a play and you're drinking a pint i remember the first time i did it i had two pints and then we had to walk like two miles to some show and i was like i'm never doing this again i like couldn't couldn't i didn't know anything about anything i didn't know about hydration or like the bloat of two pints of guinness or whatever it was but it was so essential and fun. And I remember that two meal and it was Lori, which was great. And I remember going to see a play. Yeah, we went to a play right after. What was, I don't remember. And I don't think we were drinking necessarily at that meal because I, I, I we took the theater pretty seriously and we went and it, all I remember was there was this older woman who was the narrator of the play and she came out and she was playing instruments that you've just never seen instruments that I think Paul Simon has never seen. You have a good Paul Simon story where he was, uh, where she came out and she's playing like, it wasn't a, a fiddle and it wasn't quite, <laughs> you know, it was, and, 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 and after the play and she played like seven of them. So every time she came out, she was like, Whoa, the tale of if she's playing some like thing that looks like a harp, but it's a banjo. And then afterwards I said to you, what did they put in the newspaper to find that woman? <laughs> we need to. We need a woman who plays the didgeridoo, <laughs> the quandio. You need to have your own squeeba. And you need, I can't stress this enough. We don't have a squeeba, but you need to have your. Own. And you laughed. I'm already laughing hard. You laughed and said. We need I mean, a monosyllabic. We need a, a and the felk. We need something that yeah, and the bow, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or or you can say and the flute. You know, you just, <laughs> yeah, right, right. With the regular, we laughed so hard. Yeah. And these plays had, I remember, a lot of them had male nudity. So we're going from a school that was very. It's actually kind of what was sweet about Gordon. It was very sheltered and loco parentis. It was very like nobody's uh nothing's weird here and believe it or not i liked that about the school i liked that sex had been taken off the table i wasn't having any anyway i liked that partying was taken off the table i didn't want it to be loud and scary because i had like kind of some trauma with that i listened to your episode with uh phil jameson talking about the wit anyway yeah, and I never went to the wit. Oh, you didn't? I, I never went. Never once went to the wit. I the wit I was the party house. Mm-hmm. I just never went there. So all that was off the table, generally, though, for you, right? Yeah, just, and I liked it. But then we go on this theater trip, 
And it was the the elder tribesmen taking us into the desert to kill a lion. But the lion, now I sound like Truman Capote, the lion was our insecurities and our fears and our inadequacies. But I mean, we're seeing these plays. In that play, someone tucked their scrotum, their balls and their scrotum, so all of it, <laughs> all three. <laughs> the scrotum never gets headline credit. All three get tucked between the legs. The guy turns around and moons the audience. It was like... <laughs> Like, I don't even know what you call that, but there they were, the buttholes, like the shining sun over the rising fields of nuts. And I'm with Lori, and we just, we didn't, <laughs> we didn't break our pretend grown-upness. We, we tried to stay sophisticated New Yorker subscribers, like, we can handle this. But I remember one time we went, went to a show with Manders, and the, the 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 curtain came up and the opening scene was like it was like a Russian shower in a prison and the scene and it was just fifty yeah. dicks. And Manders laughed oh, no. so hard and so loud oh, really? that it was it was noticed by all. <laughs> oh no. Everyone Everybody, stage, including every, people on stage. Oh, there's no doubt. Was that in the little, was that in, where was that? Was that in Stratford in the little theater called, what was that called? The other place, the other space? Oh, it wasn't, it wasn't that. It, it, although I remember going to the Globe, remember being the groundlings and leaning yeah. on the stage and we saw the Tempest. Yeah. And I remember, um, it's Vanessa Redgrave, she was it an all-women Tempest or was it uh, Mark Ryland? No, it wasn't all-women because I remember the guy who plays the monster guy, was he stole yeah. the show. It was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. But we, um, we also saw a Tom Stoppard play. Do you remember that? Oh, come on. That was your trip? Which, wait, which one? And Tom Stoppard was in the was house. In, oh. Yeah. Do you remember that? Oh, great. Yes. And I, I remember you were too, uh, you had too much respect to bother him, but I just went, this has been a big thing in my life. I was like, I'm going to go talk to him. And I just went and I was like, I love this play. It was at intermission. I was like, and I love Shakespeare and love the corniest thing. Like, but I, he was very sweet. Of course he was. Yeah. That, that, you don't, you can't put that a price was, on so knowing was, who Tom Stoppard is when you're and being able to right. And there he is sitting down the bench from us. It was in the Donmar Warehouse. Mm-hmm. It was a, the last preview, and I don't remember who noticed him and so all of a sudden passed around. Yes, the, the group of us Stoppards here, you know, Stoppard. Do you remember? Oh, sorry. Yes, go. Is it the moment where the the cue didn't work? Is that what you're going to say? Ring, ring. Yes, right. Which. Again, that could have gone, you could have kind of, I don't know. The, so I remember two things about that play. phone is supposed to ring and it doesn't yes. have, now these are two really good actors, Jennifer Ellie and I can't remember the, the uh, guy's name will come to me. And they were, they're waiting for the ring just, but they don't wait too long because you can't, you can't just sit there. It's so awkward. So I forget which of, of them. Said, the man, the guy went, yeah, the guy yeah. went ring, ring, goes, ring, ring. And, and uh, then the phone rang. Oh, did it? Yeah. That's great. And then this, this lovely feeling of uh, just delight went around the audience. It's not a big theater space, but everyone, we just loved that moment, how they handled it. And mm. I, I, used to, I used to love when that kind of thing happened in a play, because if you were relaxed, nothing, really, if you were, I mean, you must feel that way, because improv, you never know what's going to roll your way. And well, in a show, if something would flop, you know, <laughs> Peter Pan or... 
and suddenly oh the kids god. are being <laughs> dragged across the floor. Oh my god! It, for me, it was always an opportunity to—I don't know—to step well, out and do something thrilling rather that, than a, a moment to fail. It's a moment to succeed. And I remember looking at Stoppard, and he was loving it too. He was just smiling at everybody. There were all smiling. Maybe that was part of why we enjoyed it. But and I also know—I remember watching Stoppard watch the crowd every time I kind of looked over at Stoppard. He was he was watching us, had one eye on us. Well, you taught that to me because I saw another play and Ray Fiennes was in the crowd. And every time there was a laugh, I would look to see if Ray Fiennes was laughing. And Mr. Fiennes, if you hear this, he was. And I thought it was so cool that somebody could be like famous, but still disappear into an audience yeah. and just like let the theater happen to them instead That's of... Great. Um, inner monologue. I'm Ray Fiennes. I, I know acting, and I know how these turns work. I'm not impressed. He was just enjoying the show, and of course, after yeah. the show, I told him how much we love Schindler's List and all this stuff, and he was very sweet about that as well. And because we didn't know if it was Ray for Ralph or how you say it, right, right. we went with Mr. Fiennes. I went Mr. Fiennes. <laughs> oh, you did. That's great. Well, and jo- I could Jones and Jeff Miller would they would say that is how it is over there. In, in London. Concert. And people just go. Yeah, that there's a, I don't know, there's more of an egalitarian. Everyone's there because of the importance of theater and it's not stratified. Yeah. In New York. And uh, I mean, I last time I was there this winter, I forget if I texted you, I went to see uh, a show in the little Cotslow. No, it's called the Dorfman Theater, the National Theater now. And um, I walked in with Ed Norton and it was so fun to just chat with him because mm. his new show was just about to be released and I'd heard a review of it anyway. And it was low key uh, talking with him there. And I, and I just couldn't imagine the same kind of thing happening. And maybe I just don't have enough. No, I know you mean. when I go to see a Broadway show, there's almost like a guilt that you're eating like a pheasant's head or something. You're like, yes, bring me like you feel privileged. I know there's also like, there's always like teenagers and stuff, people that waited for the lines, but there, there's a hoidiness. And especially Irish theater, that was a big part of our education was it wasn't just like for everybody. It was dealing with the issues of the day. Like like the way that we have what's going on politically now, I feel like a more Irish response would be lots and lots of theater. Yeah, yeah. And, and from both sides, believe yeah. it or not, there would be theater that would be advocating for conservative values would be theater that would be it would be a, a conversation it would be really exciting and where everybody you, would be where did you pick that up the the sense that theater is is uh, appreciated it was brian, that way brian friel remember friel? we would see all those plays living quarters yeah, yeah. Do you remember the play living quarters i do i, do. I just wondered if, did, did you take ann ferguson's irish lit class dr ferguson no i, I wondered if she, on a lot of the heavy hitters I that too she was she, she was great. So yeah, t- um, you were saying living quarters was in the little space down below. Is that right? The big, the, so it was the Abbey and then down below, I forget, is it called the Peacock Theater? I, I don't remember, but I remember that we were those students. I just said, you go to a Broadway show, there's always the students. We tried really hard to get last minute tickets. And yeah. often as you do in those situations, you get really good tickets yeah, because it's some uh, probably rich person that flaked, yeah. had too many G and T's at their golf game and didn't come. And now you're in the second row. And that play taught me everything. I, I had already seen Jones directed a great play with Jake Armerding 
and um, Brian Roberts played the the narrators that sat in the house and they that broke was, the uh, real inspector hound, I think real inspector hound <clears throat> and they broke the fourth wall, but living quarters breaks the fifth wall. If that's possible, I don't even know what's going on. Like it becomes so engaging and, and boundaryless that it's almost uncomfortable. And it's, and, and it's, it was dealing with these things that I didn't even know I was dealing with. Everybody thinks their childhood is so normal. And then you see plays right. that are like devastating you and you don't even know why. And, and I, I'm not alluding, you and I sort of had a laugh about how my childhood wasn't even that bad, but I sure do milk it. It's part of my life. But like, it it doesn't matter what your shit is. It, it gets healed by theater even when you don't know you have that problem that's what's so magical about it it transcends the intellect we watched saving mr banks last night and and val and i are just crying and there's a lot of family issues and stuff and i'm like wow i'm aware now but i bet i could have seen that movie when i was 25 and i would have wept through it i just wouldn't have known why i was Mm. crying you know, and I and I'm probably still unconscious about a lot of things now. So tell people a little bit about. Sorry, go. What, what would you have? Oh, I just you're going to you're saying good stuff again. I so appreciate it. Uh, I want to, before we leave the idea of music. The thing that you said to your dad and is it Jay? I forget your brother's name. Um, They're both named John. <clears throat> and they <laughs> he said, yeah, everybody knows that. Everybody uh, knows that it broke my tiny little heart. But the music you were you were saying. Um, you were starting to attend to the music of, of dialogue and of, of, of playwrights who can capture that. I was thinking about that today because you and I love Glenn Gary. We, um, makes me wonder, <clears throat> you must be quoting lots of movies back and forth across the, the country. The, the play Glenn, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. And, uh, so I feel like a couple times a month, we must send each other a text from, from that. And, and you're somehow you, even... you're still finding ones that I, that I, we haven't used yet. Are those I, out of your head or are you going online and looking up? Oh, the script? pal, <laughs> always out of the head. Always. It's cheating to go online. <laughs> I, 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 but no, I do but, with but, Joe DeRosa too. Yeah. Oh, what, with the same play? We, we do same Glenn film. Gary. Yeah. We should say film because the film has the, yep. the Baldwin scene. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is well, so important. I was thinking about the music of Mamet. Um, just today, I was thinking, are we going to talk about Glenn Gary and, and his ear for the, that music? And I want to say, that you know obviously beckett his ear and carol churchill and but um beckett directed his own plays right famously uh and and directed them with a kind of i don't know beckett uh, beckettian um <laughs> rhythm or or pacing in the delivery that was a little it was it was pleasing to him but it wasn't often pleasing to an audience and i mm. i think i i saw a play that mamet directed in fact a number of us went to usher at a, at the theater in Boston, the Suffolk university theater, the something Walsh theater. And it was a new show that this was 20 years ago. Um, probably a new, a new play of his, I now forget it. Ed Bagley was in it. And, um, <clears throat> it was sort of the first production, I think. And Beckett, I'm sorry, Mamet had directed it. Mm. So we showed up to usher. <laughs> have I told you this? I may have, um, we showed up to usher and all of a sudden, Here's Mamet. We're, we show up at the at the box office. Here we are, ready to usher. We're here early, and Mamet kind of walks up, and that was kind of you know we were starstruck, of course. And I said, he had a little conversation, and I said, "Have, have you, you? Made, yeah, to say, him?" I said, t- have "Say, say, <laughs> sorry, that's all right." You well, said, 
I said, have you made your decision for Christ? Which, Which is, is go. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. He says, A-I-D-A, attention, interest, decision, action. Attention, do I have your attention? I know you do because it's fuck or walk. Interest, are you? Yeah, yeah. Do I have your attention? Interest, are you interested? I know you are because it's fuck or walk. You close or you hit the bricks. D, decision. Have you made your decision for Christ? And tell me if this doesn't round out to what we were just saying. And action. None for action. No, no. That's that's speaking effectively. That's good. I hadn't thought. Right. Right. Yes. Yes. But that's what we're fucking saying. This is (laughs) mammoth. Persuasively, economically, and well. (laughs) So mammoth. And right, you did bring it back. He doesn't need to say what action is. That's when you get him to sign on the line, which is dotted. So mammoth, I say, have you made your decision for Christ? And he he looked at me as though I was proselytizing. He said, so what? And I said, oh, that's, <laughs> it's a line from one of your, it's a line from your play. And he, I don't remember how he responded. He, you know, it was a failed interaction between yes. the two of us. And I felt sheepish as sheepish, which I don't think we'll have, you probably won't have time to talk about. But when I, when I went to your wedding and I ended up behind, one of the people I was hoping I'd get to say hi to was MB, Mike. Mike Berbiglia. Yep. And I ended up behind him, Christina and I ended up behind him and his wife. Uh, We were signing, we were putting our thumbprints or something. I forget how you had the guest book. Really good. There's like a tree that you can put your thumbprint on. A fun idea if you're getting married. I liked it. And I was behind him and I thought, we just ended up behind him. It was just them and us. And I wanted to say something. And so I, I, I did, I ventured something and it went really badly. And your friend, uh, it's not Aaron. Who's your high school friend. Yeah. Aaron. Aaron. Yeah. I call Aaron, him. Aaron. He came in and, and, and he stepped in and I don't know if he, if he had seen how badly it went, but it went what as badly mean? as with, <laughs> it went as badly as with Mamet. The thing that saves Glenn Gary for me, I, I think watching, Films that that Mamet directs, they are so they have the thumbprint and the stink of Mamet's direction in addition to his ear, and it's just too, I think it's too much. Well, oh, it's not too much, but I know a, what you mean. Do because oh, yeah. Glenn Gary was directed by, and I looked oh. it up again, a guy named James Foley. And the fact that it wasn't Mamet directing makes I think I think Mamet would have celebrated the boots, shoes. Yes, he would have celebrated the the. Um, verisimilitude that sort of i don't know stickle mythic I, i'm not i'm not even sure what the right kind of way to describe the mammoth punchy fragmented back and forth that is so obviously his he would have leaned into that and and fully made it alive yeah you mean in a in a not as good way I thought I thought Foley made it brilliant i thought he that's what i mean brilliant. but you think about the moment at the bar where they go like are we talking about this? Are we talking about this? We talk- and and the camera swoops into a two shot. It, it crosses the line and goes over the bar and now it's framing them differently. That's like holding the audience's hand saying, let's have fun with how mammity this is. But by hmm. having the camera move in this smooth way that like says, hey, hey, dummy, like if you're just kind of tuning out, something's happening. This is the mammoth stuff that they're going to ask you about. And when they're doing the cuts back and forth, what do you say? Or what do you what do you say? What do you, like that sort of thing? I wonder if it would have enjoyed that 
Okay. Yeah, yeah. Highlighting yeah. how mammity he is. Yes. You I need someone else to say, I know how mammity you that, are. And I agree. I'll show the people. I mean, it, that I, works I brilliantly in that. And I think the sound, constant. the lighting in that, same thing. Uh, the, the color palettes, I mean, I, I'm, I don't really, I'm not oh, it's a great competent palette. to talk about, about sure film are. like that. But uh, the blues and reds uh, in that, that sound of the, um, the, the sort of elevated subway train that comes by at important right. moments. Yep. In yep. fact, I, I just, just watched the, the Baldwin monologue recently. And when he goes A, B, C... Right then, there's a sub. There's a, a elevated train going by, which I yeah. never noticed, and I wouldn't have noticed until I started. Sort of. I get berated by you, you fucking. Shit. <laughs> there's another train going by there. Is I get there? in my face by you. Oh yes, you're right. You're right. There is. That's perfect. Yes, it's. it's- and what you're saying is, this is what you're, what you're saying is. You genuine shit. That's what it is. You genuine <laughs> that what shit. He says? That's like every plague. You said. <laughs> you ge- I, it might be genuine. You're saying that other elements of the, of the creating of this, the, the, the sound, the, the camera movement into the two shot, I wouldn't know how to really talk about that well. But, um, and, and the color palette and all that are doing Mamet in their version. We don't need... Mamet to direct his thing. Actually, I think, again, all of those, it's Stanislavski and everything should tell the same point, same direc- direction, tell the story. Uh, what? How does he say it? It's the idea to support the idea or fulfill I the idea. of agree. And, and that film does it so well. And yeah. which is why, forgive me for, forgive me for saying, it's not even my place, but <laughs> that's why a guy like, that's why it's so great that, uh, Shelley, the machine, Levine, um, lemon, Jack lemon is in there. And he, you know, that he's too sweet of a, of a previous generation of an actor to ordinarily want to do a, a, a play or a film that has that kind of language. Yeah. And so somehow his being part of that, uh, Oh, it's, 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 uh, it's staining the white sheets. It's, it's such a sweet, no, no, I'm with you. I'm, I'm just agreeing. Uh, you're right. I am finishing your sentence because <laughs> I couldn't. I I couldn't figure out how to say it. Well, he's I'm losing. losing he's Jack Lemmon. You picture him on like a giant billboard with Marilyn Monroe. That's like it. A, a, and, and now and, he's going like, looks- oh, there's no turning back, Pally. It's a long, it's a long <laughs> road with no I'm turning back. Spacey, all the things we might have to say about him at this moment. He, you know, he is such a suave guy. I think there's actually, as I read about his upbringing and his father's treatment of him and his his brother, he was, mm. you know, I'm trying to figure out what would lead a person to do some of the things he's accused of. But I guess what we know, what has been written is his father was really cold and abusive. And, mm. and I wondered sometimes if his ability, his, his impressions, his ability to, to mimic, to mimic and to stay a kind of, to play himself. Like what's the, um, the actor's studio. I forget the guy who interviews and he does yeah. a bunch of impersonations in that. Mm-hmm. And Spacey is never flapped. He never, and that's, he's kind of famous for that in my mind. He plays the president. He's unflapped. He plays Johnny Clark, and you know, and he's, he's, you know, he's yeah, got, no, he's, I know what you mean. He's his steady. cuffs and all this. Yeah. He's and, uh, and yet after all that sort of competence, he will even sing somewhere, you know, he'll sing his own in Glengarry. He looks, he looks kind of doughy faced. Mm-hmm. And sloped. I mean, he's still tall, but he looks beleaguered. He doesn't mm-hmm. look like the Kevin Spacey of of so many films that we know. And yeah, that's so brilliantly um, 
counterpointed with, uh, forgive me for going on and on here, but with Baldwin, Baldwin, who looks nothing out of place. And he is so chiseled and, you know, he's yeah. right off of that, that film where uh, he gets on the submarine, Crimson Tide or whatever it is, a red October, yeah. I forget what, but he's so handsome that just, anyway, I'm going on and on. No, he looks like an exclamation point. What you're saying <laughs> is Kevin Spacey brought the character into his posture and into his body. And when I think of him in I'm that saying. movie, when he puts the gum in his mouth to look at somebody in the face with an unmoving face right. and say, I don't like you. Okay. What? That's not called for in the script. Do you think that's <laughs> called for in the script? I don't so think have, so. No, we have to credit. I, again, I credit James Foley with that. Oh, and I'm sorry. I stepped on your, because I think, I, I think you have to credit Spacey with that. I have a joke about that in one of my uh, specials where it's like, I thought is, directors told oh, actors what to do. And oh, I, oh, and, and I'm, I, here I am. That, they I don't. don't think I don't think that's the Foley case. Foley said, "Yeah, that's great. Do that." I think if anything, this is a guess. Obviously, he, the actor said, "I'm thinking of doing something with a piece of gum," because that's oh, that, that's, and I then he's like, and he goes, "Try, try it." it. Yeah, but you know, if he tries it once, I he's going to tell gonna, you something, Shelley. And he's been shit on the whole movie. And he right. fu- and that movie goes, has such good status. Like, it's like, you're up, yes, you're down, you're up, you're down, you're up, you're down. And then you're, he's so finally up perfect, and he perfect. gets to attack him. And that's what so many what? toxic masculine lives are like. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're talking about toxic, but I, uh, I wanted to interject. You Please. Do it. Have a big mouth. And he goes. I'm going to show you an even bigger one. And he's doing that, chewing that gum. I know. And from what I know now about shooting film. Is anybody interested in what we're saying now besides us? I think. What do you know? Are. No, no, go, go. What do you know about shooting film now? Because if he not- did it once, he had to do it nine times. Oh, yeah, right, right. You think it's just like, oh, I'll try one with the gum. Right. You can't. We can't go in between a take where you have gum and where you don't have gum. Now yeah. you're doing gum. Yeah. This is why actors aren't eating in scenes because yeah. they'll have to eat. Right. And it's why I am eating in the scene. I was always happy to eat <laughs> nine bowls of pasta in the scene. <laughs> I was always happy about that. What am I? What am I going to do this month? Uh, what am I going to talk to you about next? Is what I. What, what is your orphan story in London? You texted me. You said I wanted to talk about that. I don't want to talk about it. Anymore. Is that something we can talk about? I don't. It would. It's not right. But I it's was not, thinking about it's what not, you. Sh- it's not right to the listener. <laughs> <laughs> hey what do they hey. tell me? what do they always say hey. you know, don't sell a man what i forget oh that's what you said this is the quote of mammoths you always used to say what is it i'll 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 be the interviewer you be mammoth where do you come up with your ideas <laughs> yeah and he says i i think of them i think of them i think of them There's, we you and i sort of laugh that there are so many stories that unfortunately I feel like we can't tell. But here's one we uh, that I did want to talk to you about. Um, your interest in the Salem Witch Trials. Everybody, stay with me because it's way more interesting than it sounds. How much time? We don't have much time. Ooh, we have, you know, if you want to be a traditional two-hour episode, we have 15 minutes. But uh, barring asking you about your personal theological beliefs, I thought maybe we could talk about <laughs> I don't think Mike is going to, for Bigley is going to hang in all the way. He's going to make it. <laughs> He's going to make it. Um, Don't you want to hear, wouldn't you rather hear what happened when I was standing behind him at your wedding? 
When yeah, we, what did you say? I didn't, you you told that story. I didn't know I had to circle back for the details. Yeah, no, I didn't. Well, uh, <laughs> it's short. Yeah, so I can I can. So I'm thinking, should I should I say something? Here we are. I should say something. I should say hi. How can you not say hi to a guy? We right. We're both your friends. We've both been invited here. We both love you. We're gonna celebrate this wedding. We're both sticking our finger in some ink, and we're gonna. <laughs> So, but I didn't know what to say. I didn't want to say, have you made your decision for Christ or, you know, quote something out of sleepwalk with me or so I said, uh, oh, (laughs) (laughs) another guy from Massachusetts or something like that. Never good. Not good. And, And if he heard it, he knew not to turn around. And he thought, he must have thought, that can't be for me, whatever that was that the person behind me said. And that's when I didn't know Ern was nearby. All of a sudden, Ern swooped in and said, yeah, and pretended as though I were speaking, that I were delivering it to him. Saving, saving that moment, because it was, it was an awkward, it was really awkward barbershop. I awkward barbershop, the sketch I I wrote. For hours last night, I could not find, I still have it, but. Really? Yeah. I wrote a sketch called Awkward Barbershop about how awkward it is. Talk about wanting something to talk about uh, when you're young, wanting something to do comedy about. I was talking about how awkward it is telling a barber that you want him to cut your hair differently. That was These were the issues, the hard-hitting issues I was saying at the time. Your story, I told this story before, so I'll tell it in bullet points. I saw Matt Damon at a party. I went with the route you went with, with... Have you been back to Boston lately? Right. That was the And he time. said, he said no. And I realized I had nothing. Ugh. I had nowhere to go. Right. So I, it was just a, a bad experience. My fault. 20, 30 minutes later, I see Ben Affleck. I go up to him. I've learned my lesson. I go. <laughs> you say, I, go, I just blew it with Matt Damon. <laughs> no, I, I don't even fully plant <laughs> my feet in front of him. I just touch him and I go, I just want to say I, I love your work. And he goes, are you kidding? Get over here. And we like talk for 20 minutes. It was like the polar opposite. So I if you see that. if you see the whole Goodwill Hunting cast, go Affleck. That's what I say. Okay. Listen, again, you're a little bit of imp- impersonation, a little good. I heard him. I heard him. I wanted to say, I was thinking about you and impersonation. I wanted to admit that I didn't know you, I did not know you could do impersonations. All Even train though, compartments smell you, vaguely. <laughs> oh, shit. It gets so you don't mind it. This is the worst thing I can admit to you. Confess. Sorry to correct you. Confess. Your wife your wife dies in a plane crash. <laughs> what if these things happen? None of them. None of them. We we worry yeah, anyway. Why? Why? <laughs> why jim oh man people are listening loving the fact that we're sitting here quoting a movie it's it's the frequency beneath but the words your uh your alan rickman was good I, I remember seeing your ray romano he was on your show yep yep yeah and i and i didn't think it was that good so I thought I, I thank, thank you for bringing it up. It seemed to me like, but what is it? But you do hit good. You you can do it. And I did not know you had. Have you always? You've obviously always. No, been. it's funny. I've, I've talked about this before. Because you would do sort of an extreme version of David no. DVD, you know, or you yes. do an extreme version of Fillion or something. But I didn't know you could actually really pitch in there and and recreate somebody. Well, a big I mean, part of this conversation is, is, I think, has been about 
trying things out, trying out writing, trying out playwriting, trying out comedy, trying out acting, and having a safe place that you, in many of those cases, provided for me to fail. Then you try stand-up and you fail at open mics and you have your scene and all that. I think the last thing to feel safe trying is an impression because I've said this many times, even my mother knows if it's good or not. Yeah. It's, it's musical. It either sounds like music. It either sounds like the person or it doesn't. So it's really hard. If you're a young Bill Hader, everybody's probably like, I have a similar joke where I was like, there had to be a time when Eminem was bad at rap. You know what I mean? Like he was starting out and he was sitting on some porch in Detroit and they're having a few drinks and someone starts beatboxing. His heart is jacked <laughs> like a, a rabbit. And he's like, a zippity flip, we're <laughs> under the moon. Eat some ice cream with a big spoon. And everyone's like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> the things that require you to be excellent, because part of them is being excellent, are the hardest things. Yeah. Doing impressions presupposes that you're great at them. Where is the safe space? (laughs) Hopefully with your friends to be like, oh yeah, (laughs) I'm with you on my Ray. It's not great. It might be great. I just, I saw, saw I've done it with him. Like Pete doing Ray. And I, I thought. I've done it with him and you go like, yeah, I live in Queens. And he's like, oh yeah. Is that that what I sound like? (laughs) This is what he actually said. Is that what I sound like to you? (laughs) Is that it? That's, that's me. And I'm like, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah you know martin scorsese maybe, uh calls me <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, i stepped on you maybe uh maybe you're doing like dana carvey's impersonations are are great but they're not you know he's not they're not accurate they're accurate. they're car- caricatures yeah yeah but daryl daryl hammond's are so precise that sometimes yeah. he gets overlooked because they're perfect yep. and his comedy perfect or is it supposed to be blown out a little bit is it supposed to be the colors of Glen Gary Glen Ross right. just a little bit that right right boots boots shoes boots boots We're I feel friendly. good you wanted to talk about Salem for a second but uh, well oh you know what it made me think of was when I was in Captain White one of my first acting gigs you gave me my first two acting jobs one was Goodnight Captain White and one was Cry Innocent and then when I was in Captain White Oh, God. So the second half of the show was mostly me solving the murder mystery. And so much of it wasn't written. Like, it was just like, you were sort of, forgive me for saying so, but like leaning a little bit on our ability to improvise. And it was like, I'm going to really polish the first act. And the second act was, (laughs) I I was having like so much anxious diarrhea and (laughs) bad sleep. It was so hard. So in the midst of that. Five endings. You had to memorize. I mean, you had had to memorize. Ready to improv five. And then very quickly I had to, I realized I only had to memorize two endings. (laughs) (laughs) No one is voting for some of these people. Right. And then, but I didn't know that. Um, So, my parents come, my brother and my parents come and my ex-wife was one of the parts in the play. And my mother, to my chagrin, pulled to my humiliation, pulled you aside and asked you to swap the actor out so that her future daughter-in-law could be in the play. And that's pretty much all you need to know about my mother. She's just like, excuse me, 
could you please, we drove all the way up from Lexington to see my daughter-in-law and my son in your play. And who is this floozy you have playing the part of Penelope? I want you to make this right. And I need Were you nearby or are you just... That's I just know my mother well be. enough to know that that's what she would say. These are these are boundaryless people. <laughs> <laughs> very close. We were actually, and it was hard to say. It was hard to say no. So <laughs> I was saying I was sort of wanting to say, can, think about your audience and whatever gentle things I had said to you, and I couldn't really figure out how to think about the actor say, that thought right, she was about to be. Who, in yeah, the, yeah, right. yeah. Who it's actually pretty saying. easy, but my mother is very <laughs> persuasive in that well, way. And we were using a piece of, of her furniture. We I, were I, using a lot of their antiques. Yeah, if I remember were, you said that they were antique col- collectors. They were. And that was uh, a, a lot of that furniture. was irrevocably damaged. And that's actually what I wanted to. Is that true? <laughs> oh, no. I have to say the doing that at Giordano's was a, about as much fun as I've had in in a production in a show. Yeah, yeah. You guys were, it was so great, and I got to. So this guy named Jeffrey would sing loudly and sweep up, and then would thaw the frozen parmesan, you know, whatever yeah. we were having for dinner. Put him in a microwave, and <laughs> <laughs> and the audience would come in, and I would go climb up into this loft behind them, and I would run lights and sound. And watch you guys kill. You were, I thought you were killing it. And I remember I so all of that. Sitting up there just going this. And we did it for four and a half months. Whoa. This was the year what, 99, 2000. So you must have still been in school. You were still a student. Well, those were the, you know, not to call myself the Beatles, but you hear those stories of like those places, you need those safe places and a, and a little dinner theater tucked away in the woods of, G, uh, of Georgetown, Massachusetts, which I didn't even know was a town in Massachusetts, where you could do a play every weekend for four months, four or five times. That's, I'm not saying I'm the Beatles, I'm saying the Beatles and others like them always had that club in Germany where they played every night. And I mean, it's, it's so essential. So like when we're talking to sort of round this out, it's not just what you taught us in class. There's very, (laughs) I don't want to say there's very little that I remember. Somebody said that like school isn't about what you learn. It's learning how to learn. And I, I just, I just wish someone had trusted me as a student to tell me that, especially in high school when we had to take math and stuff. If someone was just like, it's yeah, you're right. You have calculators, but you're learning how to learn. I wish someone, I wish I was ready to hear that. I probably wasn't ready to hear it. But when it came to school, uh, college, it wasn't necessarily what we learned. It's that we were learning how to learn. And when it came to you watching you producing things and writing things and, and, and taking us to see theater, it's sort of, it doesn't really hurt my heart, but I'm like, when I say, oh, the camera jumps the line and now we're in a two shot and you're like, well, I can't talk that way. Well, that's sort of funny to me because like, you're the person who taught me that everybody's included to the conversation. All you need is someone to say, you're a writer or you're a careful watcher of film and you're two YouTube videos away from knowing what a two shot is. Yeah, that's true. And I think you can figure it out. It's a shot with two people in it. I mean, like, this it's whole crossing thing. the line part. I, I I understand that suddenly I'm disoriented if we cross the line, but I don't don't have the experience of of really directing a film where we're off, we have the opportunity to make that mistake. I'm a little foggy on it too, but if we're Everything. talking this way and you go on the other side of us, you've just crossed you've crossed the yeah. line. Yeah. It gets a little subtle though. Like at what point do you cross jump the line or whatever? And you said they do cross the line in Glengarry in that in that shot. 
But that's the point. Deliberately crossing the line is to tell you something of import just happened because it's it's off-putting. If you think about it, like the, the, the techniques, this is my point that I was making earlier. Well, that's what I'm saying, that our dreams are doing this. When you think about every night, your subconscious is using symbolism. It's not just like, oh, isn't it fun that we're talking about movies? You are also doing this to yourself. Your, your subconscious, I used to have a joke about it. It puts a monster in a closet. You're in the dream and you go, what's in the closet? But there's part of your brain that goes, no, no, don't tell him. Don't tell him. But it is the monster. It is the closet. So who's tricking who? But this is art. Life is art. Our subconscious is art. And you and everyone listening, you told me this. By being in this world, that's your pass to be able to have an opinion about film and art and music. And if you're interested to go deeper and to get a little bit more refined in your taste, if you want to play that game. But every, I want people to feel as you made me feel, which is invited, included, and not just that, but go ahead and write a bad play just because you thought as you were was a good title for a play. Go, go do it. Go do it and get every plague in the, in the process. Did I ever tell you about the deer? I love the deer. This is a great way to start. To Do you stop remember it? Yes. Please tell me the deer story. So it's, it's a great palate cleanser because we got a little, we got a well, little off the path. I'm not saying I should tell it. I just. No, you have to tell it. I should be. Um, See, like, I think of that story all the time. I thought that's what you were going to bring up when you said. No, you have to tell this story. It's a great story. No, no, because I would have said, I'm not sure. That's another one I feel kind of freaky about, about a little freaky is not the right word, but. Well, it um, gives you the yeebie-jeebies. I love that story. And you weren't sure if a relationship was right for you. I'm I'm setting you up. Now you go. Yeah. (laughs) So maybe we, we choose between these. I wasn't sure if, yes. And I was a, a a person of, of a certain kind of active faith. What do I mean by a certain kind? I was always, you know, C.S. Lewis said, prayer comes out of me inadvertent, involuntarily an unflowing, I mean, unceasing flow of need or something like that. Mm. And I felt like that was me and, uh, and can be me. And maybe always is, um, or at least how I used to think about prayer. And, uh, I was desperate to know whether I should stay with this relationship or not. And I just couldn't figure it out. I didn't want to, we loved, but we also weren't doing well together. And I could, I needed some help. So I'm asking, I'm praying, please help me know what to do with this. And so I was anxious enough. I was urgent enough about it that I said, I'm going to, I'm going to ask for a sign. I know, I know maybe signs like that are old timey but uh i'll at least give it a try i said god if you are there as i'm as i'm trusting here in this prayer uh i'm gonna drive home here i got five miles to go if i see a deer if you show me a deer i'm gonna i'm gonna say that's a sign that i need to end that relationship and i'll we'll take the courage and do the things that end that and if I don't see a deer, then I will not. I will stay in it and believe that you, you know, your that your hope is for us to work it out. The hard things. So, Pete, I 
driving down Route 15 toward my parents' house near Messiah College, uh, Camp Hill, PA. And instead of going the highway, I got off an earlier exit and went uh, through the fields, over the yellow breaches, over some old rickety bridges. I mentioned that just because if I, if I was going to see a deer, that was where I was going to see a deer. I wasn't really going to see a deer on the highway. It was less likely. Right. You were you were buying a ticket. I it's was. That, it's that, oh, oh Lord, help yep. me win the lottery. And he goes, buy a ticket. Yep. And and not. <laughs> I would even say it's even more that I God really should was saying to me, guess what? Look where you just got off the highway. Right. Look, that is that's the answer driving. to your prayer. There is your answer. Yeah. That was it. I yeah. could have. Once I got off that, I should have said, got it. I, I know got it. Do. Yeah, that's right. And I don't think I did. I don't think I was able to do that. And so I drove back through the, the fields, the farmer fields. And, and not only did I not see a deer, I paused and I swung my headlights on high beams. It was late at night across the fields where there were always deer, always the eyes. You'd see their eyes, you know, flashing through them. Nothing. All right, I'm going to try the other side. Flash, nothing, no deer. I think, wow. I, if if this is a re, if this is prayer and I'm communing and I'm getting a response, then I need to stay in this relationship. I'm going to mm, stay in it, mm. gird up and figure out how to do better. And I was a little. I felt a kind of slump in my shoulders about um, the fact that I hadn't had some clear sign. Right. So I'm driving. Uh, came down to the farmers barn i turned right there's one last stop sign before i go up to my house and i'm sitting there ready to take the turn and <laughs> out you know you know there's out of the little stream bed right in front of my car walks a deer he must that deer must have been six feet in front of the car maybe 10 at most <laughs> walking not running why would a deer walk in front of my car one and then a, a second one walked out, out of nowhere, out of the stream bed. Two deer, one after the other, then a third. Mm. Trinity of deer walk out, then a fourth. And I'm going, really? No, I'm not. I'm not going, really? Uh, I'm not going, really. I'm just sitting there astonished. And then a fifth. Mm. And they're one after another. And a sixth. And a seventh deer walks out. That was the, the last one. The seven deer walk in front of me, casually go across the road and up into the woods. Wow. As close as, you know. Um, and so, yeah. So what do I do? I've never, I've, I've always wanted to kind of figure out how to tell that story because part of the story is, is how the whole obviously me deciding the fact that I'd already answered my own prayer, but also the, what do you make of seven deer walking out? Why would, what kind of uh, supernatural, is there something supernatural well, in that? It's a great personality worldview yeah. defining question. Yeah, I is. used to, in my standup, I would tell the story about the guy who jumped off the golden gate bridge it's very, it always breaks my heart when I, when I hear that a lot of people that survive suicide attempts, they say that right when they jump, they realize they didn't want to. Of course, there's a huge biological component to that. Uh, and there's just the, the, you, you come to your senses. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I can't interpret that. Strike, come to your senses. I don't know what's going on. 
I don't mean edit it out. I just mean, I don't know. I'm not qualified. Hits the water. cries out to God, save me. I I changed my mind, save me. And he's rescued by an otter. I did a joke about this. And I would just ask the audience, no right or wrong answer. Just like, was that God? Like, I, I don't. Right. I, there was a time in my life where I'd be like, well, you ask God and God sends an otter. But then I, I broke it down in the bed. I was like, so God's watching a suicide and is waiting for him to ask. And then right. he does right. ask and he goes, otter, go. Right. And I, whatever the answer is, we'll never know. Uh, I mean, we can't fully know. I do know that asking people that question is always interesting. Is yeah. seven deer a sign? Are we pulling off highways, looking for signs? Are we trying to be as sign prone as possible? All of these things are the answer because we are the co-participants in signs. We are not separate from the world waiting for a sign. We are the ingredients of the soup that we call a sign. We are a sign. And that's, I think that's what Jesus means when he says a faithless generation asks for a sign. Mm. That that presupposes a distance from reality. Yeah, yeah. He's yep. like you're like the leaves on these trees. You're the vines, and I, you know of of one thing. You're the vine, and I'm the branches. That's, or I'm the vine, and you're the branches. That's saying it's all one thing. It's all one thing. So you are not a stranger here. So yeah, the deer were you. The deer were your sign. The deer were a sign. The deer weren't a sign. It's all in the eye of the beholder, and that's what makes it beautiful. I've wanted to figure out how to tell that story on the moth. Every once in a while, there's a, a, a topic that it seems right. Mm. Um, it's, usually, it's, it's usually a kind of what's up with strange things that have happened to you. How do you read yeah. them? And yeah. I think about telling that one. But it is, it's a, it, I'd have to work, work on that one. I wonder how you, again, we can edit all this stuff out. How do you shake into that um, if Peter in the boat saying, Peter, Tell me Peter, the apostle Peter in the boat saying when Jesus is walking on the water, how do you, how, how do you shake in him saying to Jesus, this is in the account, tell me to come out, tell me to walk out to you. Mm. He calls out, says, he doesn't jump out of the boat, which yeah. I thought for a while. He says, call me, call me out there. Yeah. I don't know. I, feel, I, I want to know I do, what you think about that, but you don't have, have anything right at the moment. You don't have to have anything. No, I feel like that's you getting off the highway. You're saying, show me a deer. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. Because Peter is, Peter, in my worldview, Peter has the Christ in him as well. You know what I mean? Christ becomes the Christ, but Peter is a part of the Christ that doesn't know it. And that's why that's a great story. Literal truth has no holds no interest really to me anymore. It's just a story about a guy. He gets out, it's working. He sees the waves, he falls in. This is a valuable story. One of my favorite things about literal versus myth- mythological truth is if it's true, they wrote it down because it happened. Boring. If it's not true, we as readers are left, literally true, we're left to ask, then why did they put it in? And that is where that you can't rush, you can't rush richness. That's mm. where the richness is, is in, that's what Borgman taught me in biblical narrative. So yeah. It's in your participation. Forget what happened. What's happening now. What alchemy does this yank out of you now? Any moron can point a camera at a miracle, but a story that oozes you into it and insists that you 
metaphorically walk on water in that moment in your own fear. That's the point. What do we, we think we're just here to celebrate someone else's transformation. You are to transform. And a story is so much better than a video. Look at this guy walking on water. You know what that is? That's just another thing in my feed. You scroll past and it's gone. Like the popular mechanics thing I saw about UFOs phenomenon is phenomenal and then it goes away but a story can like be like a rash on you it implores you to do the work and to and to transform i really quickly i wanted to say that story your dear story people have heard this before but i i saw a psychic and she told me that um i was getting a sign from the other side i wanted to know if i should break up with somebody and it was difficult for me and she said, you have an ancestor that passed who is really pulling for you on this issue. And then I went to therapy the next day and I told my therapist that I had a list in my phone of reasons to break up with her. And it was a long list. This was a lovely person. It was just like why it wasn't working for me. And my therapist, Dr. Gary Penn, was wonderful. And he just very compassionately was like, you don't need a list. You don't need a list. Like if you want to go, you are free to go. Like sometimes you just need someone in your life to say, you're not a bad person yep. if yep. something isn't working for you and it's okay. Yep. You don't, And then I'm driving home from therapy. I'm getting on the 10 freeway and I take out my phone because I thought of something something that she does that was cruel or whatever I thought it was. And I was like, oh yeah, when I do that, she yells at me. So I take out my phone and I open up the folder that was her name or wasn't her name. I was terrified she would find it. It was probably called like horseshoes or something. I open up the horseshoes folder. The phone reboots. I'm like, what what is going on here? The whole phone reboots. There's crawling traffic on the 10. So I'm able to reopen the file. I go into my notes all of my notes are there. Horseshoes is deleted. And I, I, I get the chills just telling it. I was just like, there's a glitch on a phone that deletes one note. <laughs> like, I don't understand what's going on. It deleted the note, one note. And, and the phone just went black. Like that is my seven deer. It's not yeah. as beautiful, but those moments in life where you're looking, where you like, from what I could know about, spirituality and mysticism i do think there is forgive me for the crudeness of this language some currency to earnestness to urgent Mm -hmm. earnest yearning Mm -hmm. my homeboy richie Rohr actually says that all you need to be is open and and earnest he's like Mm -hmm. patient and open Mm -hmm. is all you need but these seem to be some of the ingredients that the dance likes to play with that that's Mm -hmm. all i we can shoot it apart and and whatever. But like for me, that's how the walking on water and the deer and the phone, it's all just about how it, Val and I were just talking about last night about how Santa Claus is real because we're like, what is the difference between a collective idea that changes behavior? Look at the power of my baby. My baby rules my home (laughs) and an idea an agreed upon abstraction called Santa Claus Okay, it's not physically real, but that is just the first sentence of what should be a five-hour conversation about what is reality and what Mm. is imagination and what is a co-conspiracy of an essence that could be realer. Oh, great. 
this this weight is real. Fuck off. That that's not the world I live in. The world I live in is fluid and oily and slippery and infinite and there's black holes and dark matter and it is fucking itself and it is undulating. I always say undulating, but it, it's so much more mysterious than is it this or is it not that? Get out of my fucking face. That's a conversation that goes lunch to dinner, right? Lunch to dinner. We did it. This is a three hour episode. We Let's get out of here with the hardest time you've laughed. I'm sure we have. We can think of an appropriate. Oh, come on. One. There's, do we really? Have, we don't have time. We edit all this stuff, right? Um, uh, I love the story of you and and Earn. The swimming one? No, the Empire State story. Oh, that's not Earn. Oh, it's not. That was in that was in Model UN. That I wrote this as an essay. And I remember it was four pages before we got to the Empire State Building and you right. handed it back with the first four crossed out. Oh, no, you, did I? No, this is a great lesson. And you it's called throat clearing. Don't clear, <laughs> my, the editor of my book had the same note. Don't clear your throat. Don't be like, hi, I'm a comedian, but I'm writing a book about spirituality. Just start. And don't be like, let me tell you a little bit about high school. You're, you walk into the Empire State Building. That's the story. I don't think I've ever told this on that on this podcast. Come on, really? We, we were in our little our first, you know, Sunday suits, me and my friend Brendan, I believe, and we were representing I don't know what it was. Kenya and I don't know, we were model UN for some country and we had the day and afternoon off so we went to the Empire State Building. We didn't know what else to do in New York City. We went to the top, what we thought was the top. And we got out. I'm rushing the story because I want to get to yours. And there was a long line of people waiting for an elevator marked up. And we were on the observation deck. And, and I went in my little blaze, my navy blazer with the gold buttons. I went up to the line. Brendan was, you know, sort of like Will Murray. He was like the little guy to my waterbed. And I went in front of the line. It's a dead quiet in the lobby, as I remember it, on the observation deck. And I said, hi, is it possible to go higher? (laughs) And no one answers. It becomes very clear that no one in this line speaks English. Hi, is it possible? (laughs) Is it possible to go higher? (laughs) Dead silent. And then I realize everyone in this line is is Eastern European. And then it kind of makes sense. It sort of looks a little fiddler on the roof. You know what I mean? There's a lot of kerchiefs and somebody has a broom for some reason there's a lot of <laughs> and this old i don't can you is a i don't know what a babushka is it felt like a babushka whatever a babushka is but you know she's got the kerchief she you know exactly what overcoat she's wearing what winter coat she's wearing she emerges from the line and again dead silent everyone's watching <laughs> she says i couldn't then and I can't now. I couldn't do an impression of what it sounded like. She was trying to say a sentence, but it was there was no verb. There was like there was no cadence. We didn't know if it was a question. We didn't know if it was an answer. We didn't know what was happening. But she was trying, and it was one of those church laugh moments where you're like, "This sweet grandmother archetype is trying to help us." And her eyes are sort of like, is this helpful? And But we're children. And I, I'm standing there and I'm like, 
And she's like, you know, uh, floor um, elevator uh, hot dog. And we don't know what's happening. And I, I'm like, don't look at Brendan. Don't look at Brendan. Don't look at Brendan. Because at that moment, we felt like we were representing the United States. Literally here, we should have been in Ellis Island. It was like classic black and white photo immigrant line to fucking privileged born in the USA idiots. And I'm just standing there and I don't know what to say. She stops. She finally stops. It just felt like English air coming out of a balloon. And I just go, thank you. I didn't know what to say. I just said, thank you. And then I turn vibrating, holding in a laugh. Right. A laugh like 700 farts I'm holding. (laughs) And I turn and Brendan, and once we locked eyes, these two American idiots, (laughs) we broke down, cry laughing, trying to hold it in. Like we weren't laughing at her. We were trying and we just collapsed. Draping on each other probably, right? Draping. Draping, yes, boots. And <laughs> when we when we looked up to apologize, the line was gone. They had gotten in the elevator. I still don't know. I still don't know where they went. <laughs> it's so good. I love that. I love the the um, the solemnity of what you were trying to do. That is such a funny moment for me. As, so and I had honest. so I, I thought you might ask this question, which I love. So I I texted and emailed my chums like Chad. I said, "What are funny moments that we've done?" screamed our head off and jones came up with a bunch and saruf came up with a bunch and even convy came up with a bunch um i say mm. even convy just because <laughs> <laughs> you, <know, laughs> you told the story about uh oops right i heard you remember that the um oops. Uh, you you attributed it to him working writing at the herald and they messed up and oh yeah we goofed you told that oh we goofed that's it i got it wrong that's great yep um that was actually he was uh Peter Torkelson's, it doesn't even matter, but Peter Torkelson's um, press secretary. It wasn't the Herald. Now I've just nuanced. We'll just cut that right out. Mm. Uh, so anyway, lots of funny, funny things came up. One that you were there for. I mean, there are funny ones you know about that, that are just, uh can't tell. Um, Unshareable. Yeah. One is sitting on Kenilworth Castle, the rotten ruined wall, watching Manders. <laughs> um, walk with a dress, a skirt, or something into a field of stinging nettle, and uh, and she, <laughs> and she <laughs> starts going. I mean, she was far away, but her expression was so audible. She's going, "Oh my god, oh, oh!" And <laughs> I know what stinging nettle feels like. I mean, it it's like your your legs are on are really on fire, and it's for a long time afterward. <laughs> It was it was so funny. I'm not sure. Another one that is at somebody's expense was that you were there. Like for. a poem, by the way, sitting on the Kenilworth <laughs> wall, watching Manders in a skirt, watching to a patch of stinging nettle, <laughs> is pure poetry. Uh, what'd you get in po- poetry class? Do you remember? I don't think it was good. <laughs> the, the the Captain White show where our colleagues pants fell down that that one we all laughed at oh my god one of our my good lost a lot of weight because he was on one of these terrible i'm sure by now (laughs) science why you should it was those pills in the like early 2000s that would like 
stop your body from absorbing fat. And he was a radio DJ, so he would take them. And there was a part in the play where my character was like, I'm going in the back to deliberate my notes. And there was a musical piece, but I heard a huge laugh. Right? Oh, yeah. I'm in the back and I'm like, this is funny, but it's not that funny. I mean, I heard a laugh that was 10 times bigger than any laugh anybody had ever gotten ever. Right. It was a, and I was, I remember it vividly because it sounded like, like if a laugh could be a car accident. It was a huge laugh. And then I came out and, and the poor actor was red. And seated, and I said, one of the audience members I would assign my deputy. And I said to the deputy, who had tears running down her face, <laughs> I said, "What happened?" And the character's name, Frank. Frank. Frank yeah. And she pointed at him and went, "Frank's pants fell down." So, Barely able to even speak it up. Yes. So at a key moment, the most serious <laughs> moment of the show. Yeah, right. Stood up, and we're wearing like white <laughs> tights pulled up over our drawers so you see that sort of like it's like our our our, our bulges are robbing a 7-eleven it's sort of like a, a a blurred underwear area in white and so of course the pants that i think lavinia had made uh, Heidi, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was. they fell down because of, of his extreme weight loss and they were made out of like a almost like a, a victorian curtain fabric so the speed at which they fell off <laughs> nyloned white legs revealing yeah. the the blurred crunch and he didn't know right away and he didn't know right away and it also, I'm sorry to the man, it made it funnier that he did not have a sense of humor about it. He no. thought it was upsetting, inappropriate. He looked furious, and he was. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that's a tough, a tough, I mean, I feel for him big time. That would have that stunk. And I, I remember. Well, you know what it is? It's pissed Not up. laughing. at the, you, I mean, Daniel peed. He laughed so hard he peed in his costume. Do you remember that? Oh my and, God. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it went on and on. So, and poor guy's just sitting there and he, he was such a, did such a great job of that show. And I was running again, running sound and lights and a little behind a screen to the stage, right. <laughs> and I leaned forward to laugh. Then I sat back so that he could see me. And I had a very, I'm nodding at him with a straight face to say, hang in there. It's going to pass. And then, uh, again to <laughs> same guy as no key colonel same guy i know saruf said no key colonel is a funny no one. key Cur- i have no key colonel in my notes steve we've been doing this for so long it's dark now where you are cold, cold and dark and dark dark cold and dark do you feel good i feel great i loved talking to you I this think was so was- fun i'd love to do i'd love to hang out with you guys with you more but at least we had this tour yeah that's right. That's right. This Does anybody is... ever refuse to say keep it crispy? Yes. Chelsea Peretti has refused to say keep it crispy. I don't do keep it crispy. There's Richard Rohr. Keep, keep, it, keep, it, keep <laughs> it crispy. I can't believe I, I mean, as you said that, I was like, there's no way. There's Deepak Chopra. I mean, we've had some good keep it crispies. Steve, I, I love you so much. I'm so grateful for you. Thank you. I'm so glad that we did this. This is one of those conversations I'll, I'll just be, I'm sure I'll listen to later. I hope not. I mean, come on. Just Once again, just again, 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 and again, every Sunday for four months. <laughs> no, I mean, I'll be grateful that we have it 
Me when, too. We're, when we're old men, I think, uh, when we f- start forgetting these things. I think you're um, doing phenomenal stuff. I love this program. I told you a long time ago that you're adding to the uh, recording and making of our culture here. How I, I have stage fright. I have microphone fright. I, I, I shy for, from this kind of thing. I find grabbing language difficult, as you can tell. But you're doing such good things, and and I just couldn't say no. I just had to say, yep, I'll, I'll hang with you and I'll trust that you'll, as you did, you'll um, make a way forward for us to have a, a good conversation. It's been really fun talking. I'm glad we did it. I'm really glad. And I'm honored to ask you to say, keep it crispy. Did I say make it crispy? Is it, did I, or did I say keep you it crispy? Right? It's keep, you said it right. It's okay. keep it crispy. <laughs> keep it crispy. And I'm going to say it. I'm going to say the next thing as a reference that only you'll get. Thank you. (laughs) No. Oh. Thank you. Oh, wow. I thought of that while you were saying it. I was like, I'm going to say thank you in a way that references a story that we can't tell. Yeah. Thank you, friendly. Thank you. So crispy, my jeans nine hundred shoes eight fifty. I'm so crispy, I'm so crispy. My ice game make you haters wanna get me. I'm so crispy, I'm so crispy.